Hello and welcome to WGTC Radio, the official podcast of entertainment website We Got This Covered. I'm Jonathan Lack. And I am Sean Chapman. And we are here to talk about stuff, lots of stuff. We've been away for two weeks again. Yeah, Sorry about that. Make a fucking podcast on Labor Day. Yeah, that was... That's labor. Talking's labor, right? Yeah. That counts. Moreover, it was I was not up in Boulder that day when I normally would be because that's where Sean lives and that's where I go to school. He goes to school there, too. Yes. And then I would normally be up there. No, I, I go to school in California. I just live in Boulder, Colorado. Right. You have a private chat. Yeah, yeah. We, we make so much money from this podcast. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Just, like, the cash pours in. So I'm getting a PS4 and an Xbox One at the same time. You know, I'm getting them early, actually, because I can just pay them millions of dollars. And they just give me them. Yes. So I've so, got one right now. I'm just playing it. Full coverage of those podcast. next week. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. In any case, uh, so yeah, I wasn't up here for Labor Day last week. I forgot that it was going to be Labor Day two weeks ago on our last podcast, or else I would have told you probably not a podcast next week. Yeah. Because um, it's just easiest to do these on Mondays. In fact, I think we, we directly implied that there was going to be a podcast the, the following week when there wasn't at all. Yeah, we did. So. In fact, I was listening to that segment yesterday, and we did. I did. Yeah. In any it's case. It's all your fault. Yeah. From, from here on out, we should be good for weekly. You know, next week is the build-up to GTA Five. Week after that, we'll probably be talking about GTA Five. Yeah. Week after that, we'll probably still be talking about GTA Five. Yeah. And then eventually, there'll be new consoles. Yes, yes, eventually. Yeah. That'll and be like a month after the, the point in <laughs> time which you have specified, but yeah, right. eventually. Yeah. But in between there, just lots and lots of GTA Five. Mm-hmm. But what's on deck for this week, Sean? Fucking, I don't remember. We made an outline. Okay. It's just stuff. It's yeah. ever, like it's been two weeks. So much shit has happened. Yeah, in like just weird little bits of video game news here and there. Yeah. Mostly, basically, this will be a video game heavy episode for the news portion. We'll be talking. We'll basically be going down the, the list: Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony, yep. and big things for all three. Silly things for all three in some cases. Yeah. Uh, just kind of weird. We'll we'll talk about some random stuff at the beginning. At the end, for kind of I guess our main topic-y kind of section, I want to talk Red versus Blue, which as you know, the the Rooster Teeth Hit Machinima series, which we typically check in on at the midway point and then ending of each season. Mm-hmm. I realized we had not talked about season eleven at all on this podcast. Yeah, so and what episode twelve is airing tonight? Like, yeah, a couple of hours after this podcast is being recorded. So so yeah, so we'll be talking about up through episode eleven. So if episode twelve comes out and completely changes our opinion of everything, yes, we'll let you know next week. Episode but, 12 comes out, it's all 2D animated, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, let's see, we've got... And then we're also going to talk about the video game, the indie sensation Hotline Miami. Because yeah, it came out a year ago, but... But it's came out recently on the PS3 and Vita. Yeah. And I played it, I just got it last week and played it. It's, you know, pretty short, got through it. Yeah. And uh, great game, I wanted to talk about it. Not probably, you know, it's not a two-hour topic kind of game, yeah, but yeah, no. I want to talk about it, because yeah, that it's, game is... It's a really good fucking game. It's a very interesting game, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> We can talk about our favorite ways to kill people in that game. Knife. It's just always the knife. It's it's really always efficient. the fucking knife. <laughs> All right, and so, doors. Lots of kicking doors into people. That's that's how I killed people. I like that. So, how, what have you been up to lately, Sean? Any random stuff to talk about? I've just you know school. I've yeah. been doing lots of school stuff. Yeah, yeah me too. like and and I mean right now I've been uh, I picked up about two weeks ago now uh, Rocksmith for the Xbox 360, and then I also bought the Steam version. And for those who don't know, it's basically... Like, I uh, I play guitar. I've been playing guitar for... Fuck, it's like been eight or nine years now. Just, I just realized that's a long time to be playing guitar. But yeah, I've been playing guitar for like eight or nine years now, so I'm pretty good at it, but... 
like with you the, you know like i haven't been like i was in the band for a couple of years in high school and that was kind of fun but that takes up a huge amount of time you know like trying to like work around people's schedules and stuff and so while it's really fun to play music in a band it's immensely time consuming and so for like the past four years or so of my life i've mostly just been playing guitar of just like strumming on my acoustic guitar and having kind of fun with that but the only kind of music you can play on an acoustic guitar is like nice, mellow, soothing, you know. <laughs> and sometimes when you know how to play guitar and you have a, 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 like a kind of rough day, you want to go home and you want to just fucking shred and you can't just shred on an acoustic guitar. So I got Rocksmith, which is kind of like if Guitar Hero was for people who actually play guitars, more or less exactly what it is, where it comes with a cable... It's really fucking cool that you just basically you plug it into the USB port of the 360 or like the PS3 or you can buy a version that for the PC also and then you just plug that directly into an electric guitar and then it basically turns your TV into an amplifier for your guitar and then also like has a bunch of songs and stuff that you can sort of play and it has a basically sort of like apes a guitar hero interface only it's like several times like of magnitude more complicated because you're now dealing with like 20 or so frets and six strings so like each string is a different color and so it's like red blue orange green it's like fucking purple and it's like oh my god and they're all coming at you and so it has like a fretboard on, so from now on when people bitch about Guitar Hero on Expert being tough you'll yeah, like it's like fuck, fuck you you piece of shit like you I'm actually playing guitar through my TV and it's like trying to to that's one of my complaints about the game is I wish it had a view for some of the songs of just like, can I just see the tablature for this song so I can just like memorize this part and then because it's really fun to play along with the music of like the actual song because it has like the drum parts because it kind of feels like you're playing in a band and that's one of the reasons I wanted it because it's like I want to actually be able to play the music and like hear all the parts of the music and have them work together. That's the really fun part of playing music and to get an approximate experience of that. This is like a really good way to do that because it also like modulates the sound of your electric guitar to fit the way the it sounded. And there are a bunch of different options you can unlock for like you know distortion effects and buzz and stuff like that. So it's a pretty powerful platform. Yeah, yeah, it's really really cool and like it's like. I wouldn't, if you're, like, just trying to learn how to play guitar and, like, they sell a pack of this game with what is probably, like, a really shitty, like, $100 guitar or whatever. And so it's sort of like, say, it's like, hey, like, you can use this to learn guitar. You don't start from nothing and just pick this game up. Because it's like, the game loads up and it's just like, this is the, the, this is the E, like, the low E string and the A string and the D string and the G string and the B string and the high E string. And strum them all. Now here's some notes. Okay, now play I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It's like, okay, motherfucker. Wait you, gotta sl- you gotta slow down. You can't just jump in there. Like, you know, like, this... You can't just learn guitar from nothing. Like, it is a lot of practice and hard work to be able to actually play the guitar. So, if you're, like, thinking of learning how to play the guitar, this is this would be a very helpful tool once you've got the fundamentals down. But it's like, you still need to get someone to teach you or, or be very, very dedicated to learn it completely on your own. To get enough of, like, a handle of the guitar, I think, to be able to play well enough to be able to play this game. Because if you just start from nothing, you're you're going to be able to play, like, 1% of the notes well, like in for instance, song. For instance, I just as someone who has never played a guitar, yeah. me, I feel like I wouldn't even know my way around holding one. Yeah, exactly. So, like, it, it, like, and it, like, like I said, like, the first five minutes of the game, like, when you plug in the guitar, like, it gives you the most briefest of possible tutorials on how one plays the guitar. But it's, like, obviously... You know, it's like, but it's like with playing in a car, if you want to be able to play the guitar, like, you have to play for, like, six months, like, like, intensively 
just to be able to strum a chord and have it not sound like shit because it's just pure muscle memory at some point. Right. So, yeah, like, the, but this is a really, really awesome tool. If you're someone who's adept at playing the guitar like I am, I highly recommend it if you don't have, like, you know, a situation where you can play music with other people often. This makes practicing and playing the guitar on your own really fun, really engaging. And it's also cool because it, it opens, a lot like Guitar Hero, it opens you up to a lot of different, like, songs and bands and stuff that you have never paid attention to. And then you just run into, oh, this is actually a really cool song. And sort I've of, like, discovered some of my favorite bands on Rock Band yeah. or for Guitar Hero. Yeah, so, yeah, I like Rocksmith, if you... What platform did you play it on? Uh, I have the 360, and I, ha- I bought a version on Steam. And the cable that it comes with, just like it's a USB cable, so okay. you can basically plug it into anything. And a new version of it is coming out this year that like also is going to have like new shit in it. That, but like the cable's going to work for that version too. So probably once oh, I good. exhaust the songs in this, I'll probably pick that up. But yeah, hopefully it's it'll probably have more stuff like what you want a little more. Of, Accessibility and yeah, yeah, and I and I've seen like like some trailers of of Rocksmith 2014 edition as they're calling it, and it looks like they're they're already like making some improvements that I've you know I've only kind of scratched the surface with all the songs in the game, and I've already seen like you guys are not representing how to do a bend very well on your fretboard or like sliding on the the guitar. It's like you're not like you're indicating that I should be doing a slide, but you're not showing like the timing of it, and it looks like they're they're. They're figuring out a lot of ways to make that more legible and more accurate in the the really weird, like, view. Like, it's so weird because, you know, like, I'm so used to learning songs from either sheet music or tablature on the internet. And so it's like, now I'm learning all these new songs. And it's like, now I'm thinking about these songs in this really bizarre Guitar Hero way of, like, how I'm, like, remembering how to play it. And I almost kind of don't like that because it's like it's like such a weird fucking way to visualize how to play music. Right, it's like these sliding colored rectangles coming at me. Because at the end of the day, playing music is, is as you said, it's it's more about muscle memory and things like yeah. that than it is about even the you know even a tablature or note representation system isn't the perfect way to play music. Yeah, yeah, like you have to practice the song over right. and over to like to get the timing exactly how you want it and sort of like to you know like one of the fun things about playing the guitar is being able to improvise and stuff like that and so like one of the one of my favorite things about the game is after you finish playing a song like there's a good like five or six measures at the beginning of each song before like the song actually starts to make sure you're like in the right position and everything and always like in that like i just like fuck around and just like play (laughs) random shit so i always but when you finish the song it replays the song like as you played it back for you so you can kind of listen to the like pretty cool mistakes it's cool but then i love like every single time i get to that part it's like it'll start being like, oh, here's where I was just like fucking around playing like Stairway to Heaven for like two measures at the beginning of the song. And I'm like, oh, I completely forgot I did that. It's yeah. kind of a fun, weird fucking thing they put in the game. Well, that's awesome. That sounds yeah. like a pretty cool... You know, it's got some problems. Anyone even trying to tackle that? Yeah, game? yeah. It is definitely like... And especially for being like like getting... Like now if you get Rocksmith 1, like I think I got it for like 40 bucks. And like, but even like, uh, if you get the new version of Rocksmith new, that I would probably just wait for that one to come out because it looks like there's a lot of improvements that I was not. I, I didn't even know that version of the game was coming out until I actually played this one. But even if you're getting the version with the cable, I think it's only like seventy to eighty dollars, which is for the amount of stuff they give you. Like especially just the the ability to use your TV as an amplifier and getting all these pedal effects and stuff. That if you were to buy all that stuff on your own, it would end up being like thousands of dollars. Yeah. And ultimately, it would it would be a better sound quality and be more useful because you could use it in like live performances and stuff. But for your like personal practice, 
the amount of stuff they allow you to do to change the the sound of your electric guitar is staggering. Like it would cost is you it, so much money to get that stuff normally. Is the cable just standard MIDI? Uh, I I don't know what the MIDI cable is. Like okay. it's it is a normal electric guitar jack. Like okay. that is it is if you have an electric guitar and an Xbox, you can you can use this. Okay, yeah. sounds cool. All right, so. The other kind of random stuff thing I wanted to talk about here... Well, the game I've been playing yeah. it has is less guitar-oriented. It's Mass Effect 3. See, there's, there's some guitar in that soundtrack, I think, somewhere. Oh, there's the part where you and Rex and Liara start a rock band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Tolly's dad, like his uh, grocery store, is going out of business. And so Tolly comes to everybody and is like, Hey guys, we need to start a band, do this live performance. Tolly's and, the lead singer. Yeah, and luckily... No, Jack is like, and you didn't know that Jack was a pop singer before she got abducted by the Cerberus Corporation. So it's it's really it's a really they sing punk. I mean, they added right? it into the DLC, like the expanded version, of Mass Effect right. Three later. That's like that's what the extended ending is. That was like that everyone's complaint was like, there's not enough like garage band music at the end of this game, and they're like, okay, we'll fix it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, I've you, you've heard I've been playing through the trilogy, finally finishing Mass Effect. So yeah. uh, I won't say much yet. Mass Effect Three, great game. Just Hopefully, n- you know, in the weeks to come, I'll definitely be finished with it next week. So maybe we could devote a segment to talking about the trilogy sure. as a whole yeah. in more spoiler depth than we have yeah. before. Um, I know we've talked about doing that before. I know some people have mentioned interest in listening to that, so we might do that. But the really interesting video game thing that I've been playing and Sean has actually been playing yeah. without any communication on our part. Yeah. Sean and I have not talked in the last two weeks. Yeah. We have not communicated at all and somehow during those two weeks we both started playing Final Fantasy 4 on our Vita. Yeah. Which, that's not like as crazy a coincidence as it could be because we both bought it like when those Final Fantasy games were on sale. So yeah, it's yeah. like, it's not like we both just randomly decided to buy and play Final Fantasy 4 at the same time. And we both like those games. Yeah, yeah. But it was more just like, because for me, I was just like, I kind of just want to play something. And it's like, oh, well, fuck, I have Final Fantasy 4 on here. It was I've the been same wanting thing. to replay that for a long time. It was the fun. same thing for yeah. me. My brother was home over the weekend, and he was playing something on the TV, and I was wanting to play Mass Effect, but I couldn't, so I just pulled out my Vita, and I'd finished Hotline Miami. I had been playing a little of Dokuro, which is this uh, game that was with PlayStation Plus. It's yeah, a, kind of a platformer. How is that? I haven't, I haven't touched it yet. It's good. I got to the end of the first world, and that boss I have no idea how to beat, so I haven't gone back to it. But so far, it's kind of a puzzle platformer. It's got really interesting graphics. Um, I like it so far. I, I don't know if I wouldn't have paid for it, but as yeah. a PlayStation Plus perk, it's it's a good one. I'm glad I have the game. I, I'll play through it more later. I've heard it's actually much longer than I thought. It's like a 20 hour platformer. Jeez. So, you know, um, it's kind of fun. But I yeah, I just started playing Final Fantasy IV because I wanted something to play, and I was kind of on an RPG kick. Yeah. And and it was kind of interesting to me. I guess the specific appeal of going back and playing it right now is that I'm also taking. Uh, at, at the college a film history class and it's silent film history right now so we're going back and watching a lot of silent movie classics you know the first movies ever made in some cases and it's really interesting to try to put yourself in the shoes of filmmakers as they were trying to figure out how you tell a story in this medium Yeah, and that's Final Fantasy 4 to me too that is yeah, kind of yeah, the, the birth of storytelling in-depth character-based storytelling in RPGs and I think if you can put yourself in that mindset of when Final Fantasy 4 came out and just what an in-depth incredible story it tells with what they had at the time, it's it's mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, degree. it's definitely like because I've been having a similar because I I played Final Fantasy IV when it got re released on the Game Boy Advance, whatever the fuck that was, and I played the DS 3D remake. Oh, so impure 3D. Like I right. remember playing like Final Fantasy III, three three or the 3D remake of Final Fantasy three, and I never I didn't. 
I don't know, I didn't like the... One, I don't think I like Final Fantasy 3, but I didn't like that they remade it in 3D. But anyways, Final Fantasy 4, like, coming back to it now, me being, me being so much older and sort of having played so many more video games since I originally played Final Fantasy 4, it makes me, like... I think, like, without even, like, trying to be, like, I'm going to put myself into, like, the era of, like, compared to the video games of its day. I think compared to video games, like, especially a lot of JRPGs now, a lot of modern JRPGs maybe should look back to Final Fantasy IV and be like, hey, they were doing some stuff in terms of, like, pacing in Final Fantasy IV that we have fucked up so bad that yeah. we need to kind of get back to what is ultimately a much more simplistic and fast-paced style of storytelling I think is so much fucking better. I do too. I in some ways, I like, and when I say that about movies and games, it's I say I think I want to put myself in those shoes because I think it's an interesting way to look yeah. at it. But at the same time, like we've watched some Buster Keaton films, and those are as good, if not better, than any movies I've ever mm-hmm. seen. They just they got storytelling, yeah. they got pace, they got humor and character building, and it's just so pure and simple and well done. And I think it's I agree completely with what you just said about Final Fantasy IV. You go back to it. And I guess I was expecting, it's been so long since I played a traditional, old, you know, 2D JRPG yeah. that I was like, and, and I had kind of stopped playing those at a certain point because I got tired of random battles and all this stuff. And I was expecting I wouldn't even make it that far into Final Fantasy IV, but I picked it up and I just played an hour of it solid immediately. It was just like, this is, the story is so gripping right off the bat. Yeah. And I think it's paced well. I don't think so far, you know, you don't. they don't immediately send you into a three-hour dungeon or anything. It's... Yeah, like, really and all good. the dungeons are really short. Like, you get all through, like, any of them in, like, an hour to two hours, and it's like none of the characters are these walking, pathetic anime cliches. Like, it's fucking, so what diff- the fuck happened to Final Fantasy? Like, going back to Final Fantasy IV has made me almost depressed, because I was like, this is it's the a different fucking, series. Yeah, it's like, you... This is so good. Like, what you're doing, even, like... And, and because the storytelling is so sparse, and, like, the... It lends... It feels so epic in, like, the traditional sense. Like, it it feels Homeric to me, of, like, we have these, like... You know, we have these characters that are not necessarily, you know, like, the, we don't, like, spend hours and hours with these characters, like, like, getting into dialogues and finding out what is their philosophy and their background and all this stuff about the characters. It's like... This is Cecil. He is the dark. He is this dark knight. He is Batman at the beginning of the game. Yes, working for the Emperor, and he has Rosa, and she's in love with him, and he's probably more or less in love with her. And then he finds out, hey, the king's kind of fucking crazy, and I can't be doing this shit anymore. And it's like that's all it needs to present to you. It's like it presents to you the basics of what these characters are, what they represent, like what they're trying to do, and they give them simple dramatic arcs for them to work through, and then like. But they, they make it so effective in its simplicity that it, it, that it really draws you in. And then it's also so fast-paced with so much stuff happening constantly with like new, meeting new characters, having new party members coming in, having characters die. That is like, when certain characters in Final Fantasy IV die, I'm like, I cared so much more about these characters than I ever gave a shit about with Aerith in Final Fantasy VII. Like, everyone talks about Aerith dying in Final Fantasy VII. Fuck that. Final Fantasy IV has way better death scenes, I think. Oh, I think Final Fantasies 1, 2, 6 are all... Oh, yeah. okay, not 2. Yeah, I think yeah, Final Fantasy 1, 3 through 6, I really like their style. And 1 and 3 are more like... They're much... They're more yeah. different. They're, 1 and 3 are very similar in that they're sort of like D&D sim kind of games. Yeah, they're yeah, not with story like, heavy. Yeah, with very, very light stories. But I mean... And 4 and 6 are these significant ones. Yeah. And I, I have not ever finished 6 I've played the first couple hours and I really want to get back to it someday yeah because... I'm, I think after I finish uh, 4 I'm going to go and like because I've never finished 6 either and I'm yeah. going to play it all the way through and I mean 6 has an, as a, the first couple hours of that are tremendous 
And and yeah, four. I'm only a couple hours into it because uh, you probably started a little earlier than me here. Yeah. But I just started it like two days ago. But in any case, it's it's. It, I think everything you just said is true. I really the, the the characterization moment that hit me in terms of how this is a different style of storytelling, but an immensely powerful one is. Uh, who's the the spellcaster, the old man you meet early on? Uh, Tella. Tella, yeah. You meet Tella. You find out his daughter eloped with this this knight, Edward, or this yeah, Edward, uh, the prince right. of Damasian. Yeah. And you go up to Damasian, and and Anna is lying there dying, and Tella has to. And in a very short amount of time, you see Tella deal with the death of his daughter. Mm-hmm. His daughter tries to you know kind of redeem herself in his eyes. They make friendly again. They kind of get through the issue with Sir Edward. And then Prince Edward, and then yeah. Tella runs off. You try to stop him, and then he's Edward Spoony Bard when yeah. he's he's fighting Prince Edward. I, I love that scene. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, Final Fantasy IV also has great humor and stuff. Yeah. But in any case, yeah, Tella runs off. Edward joins your team, and in that's like five minutes of gameplay, yeah. and it's it's spectacular. Yeah, and they're also really in terms of like how they use the game like interface to tell stories. I think they're really creative in using very simplistic sprite animations and stuff like that, like having characters spin around and kind of hop when they're happy of like these very exaggerated since you know the the, the graphical representation is so simplistic, they have to be like very exaggerated and creative with how they express emotion with these like little 2D sprites. And then I love the moments like when you have Tella encountering Edward, how like like Tella at first is like Outraged at, at Edward because he blames him for his daughter's death, and so they have this like scripted fight sequence where it's like you're not involved in any way. It just goes in to the fight scene, and it's like Edward's on the left side of the screen and Tella's on the right. Dude's like throwing like I think he's actually like smacking him with his stick. Like I don't think he throws spells. He's just like beating him with the the staff. But it's like I don't know. That, that's that's really a creative use of. Of the, the storytelling opportunities they have at hand to be like, let, let's just go and show a battle scene that the player has no contribution to whatsoever, but we can use it to, to show this conflict between these two characters. Yeah. And and honestly, I think that's the kind of thing you lose in the 3D remake, for instance, because that's probably just an animated cutscene, if yeah. I remember. Things like that. Um, and then it should be said that because we're both playing the PSP remake that is also yes. available on the Vita. And that remake, which completely redoes all these uh, sprites, it has a new English translation, and it also redoes all these spell effects. It looks fucking spectacular. Oh, like, it's, it's so... It looks so fucking good. It is one of the best-looking games on the Vita, I think, even though it's yeah. a 2D top-down game. it's The colors are so vibrant. It's actually... We're going to talk about this a little later with the PS Vita redesign. I think it's actually a testament to the OLED screen yeah. on there, just how vivid it is. But yeah, it looks... Tremendous, and I it sounds Nobuo Uematsu's score. Yeah, yeah it's got is, a rearranged score with like f- actual, like not actual instrumentation, but what sounds like actual yeah. instrumentation as opposed to beeps and bops. Although you can easily switch it back yeah, if you yeah, want if you at want any to. time. And and either way, I think it is one of the great video game scores. Yeah, um, the Uematsu work is always fantastic. Yeah, yeah Uematsu is just a great composer. And in four, my God, there's just some great musical moments in that game. And Every time you get into a battle, it's you're just like you're pumped. Yeah. You want to fuck up these people, or usually little weird monster things. Yeah, whatever. Like these fucking goblins and yeah. domacoves, whatever the fuck those are. And okay, you've you've always hated the active time battle system. I, I still think it's fucking stupid. Like okay. I still think it should just be for like fucking roll your priority based on like a stat these characters have. Like I. Because I think the vast majority of the time, all the active time battle system does is it makes me wait to input a command. Because, you know, with Final Fantasy IV, I still think there's some impressive stuff. I'm always impressed whenever I go back to the old Final Fantasies to be like, look at stuff like, you know, being able to cast Cure on, like, zombies or skeletons, undead enemies, and it does damage to them. 
like always like they they make very creative use of some like individual spells and stuff that you can use in unexpected ways and that's cool but like 99% of all the battles take absolutely no thought whatsoever to complete it's just like attack 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 you use your fire staff done like it, it, you know so I just set it to like the the setting for the cursor of like remember where the cursor was last time you use this character so I can just mash the X button and clear through the fights you know it's they're not hard they don't take a lot of strategy even I'm probably I would say 70% of the way through the game right now like I've gotten pretty far and even now the battles are not particularly difficult so all the active time battle system does to me is it's just like I have to wait to input that command I have to watch this fucking bar go and it's not like it's very long but it just makes it slower and the other thing it does is that you can't pause during the battles and one thing that I like for turn-based battle systems is like once I input a command if I want to put it down to drink a glass of water or something for a second I can just fucking do that although the Vita that's not a problem because you could just yeah, but but then it's like I don't want to put the Vita to sleep and then bring the Vita out of sleep because then there's also like a half second hitch of while the game's like trying to load back up because it's not a native Vita game it's emulating the PSP so it's like I, I just want to if I fucking use my attack and it's like my turn I want to just like sometimes I want to just get a glass of water take a sip of water and just be like okay attack that guy like it's it's a fucking turn based battle system if I wanted something that required skill and and like dexterity of input and stuff like that I would play a fucking action game if I'm playing a JRPG I think the active time battle system is fucking stupid I always have opinion unchanged it's not like it's a huge deal to me I just think it's pointless like it can just be the final fantasy one way and it's perfectly fine or like any almost every single other jrpg ever made just uses a you roll for initiative based on your agility stat like that is like the order of turns that's all it is that's all it ever fucking needs to be right yeah i don't have any i guess strong feelings one way or another i see with i always have seen where they were going with it yeah with and you know and i understand the the purpose of it but yeah, it, it does not necessarily do everything it needs to do. Yeah, it's like, and again, like, I don't think it, like, makes the game terrible or something. It's more, like, I just like complaining about it because it seems really stupid to me. It's not well, like it's terrible. It's a really small thing. I just think it's dumb and doesn't make sense. Well, I'll so say that. Like I'll, I'll say this. I think it makes more sense in the realm of Final Fantasy IV when they introduced it than when they kept holding on to it yeah, by for seven. Like, by seven, it's super stupid. Yeah, yeah, in seven, it doesn't make sense, especially because seven has much more layered on top of it with the battle yeah. system. So. That kind of just holds it back in seven. Yeah. But, yeah. So, in any case, if you've never played Final Fantasy IV and you want a PSP or Vita, that's the version to play. It's no, great. yeah, definitely, without a doubt. It's and fucking awesome. It is on iOS platforms and stuff now, but it's a 3D remake, and you don't want to play that with a touchscreen. Yeah. That's stupid. Why did they put the 3D remake on iOS? That seems really weird. They did the same thing for three. Huh. And, yeah, one and two he are out. such a perf... Like, that would be a totally fine platform to play, like, the 2D versions of those games. Like, yeah. it wouldn't be... The way I would ideally want to play the game, but it'd right. be a totally fine way. Well, like I have Final Fantasy One on there, um, and it's the same one as the GBA version, yeah. for instance, and that's that's playable with the touchscreen. It's not yeah. my preferred way of playing it, but you know I like having buttons. But yeah, it's it's good. It looks great, for instance. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that's that's what I'm playing portably right yeah, now. Yeah, me too. Final Fantasy Four is fucking awesome. I do. I hope Final Fantasy XV is really cool because it's like me like replaying this. It's just like what the fuck happened to that franchise? It got so stupid. I mean, really, really post six, uh, one through six are all the same series. After seven, that's a different series. Yeah, it's totally, and it's a different audience too. I honestly think that, and I think that's why. I mean, yeah, there's a huge, there's definitely like in the fan base, there are huge divides of like people who like see Final Fantasy VI as being the greatest game, and then it's like a whole new audience with like the PlayStation and everything thinking. 
Final Fantasy VII is the best one. Well, yeah, I mean, they switched. And then now there's a there's a whole new emergent faction of Final Fantasy fans who are like, no, fuck you, Final Fantasy X's the best one. I'm like, no, fuck you, Final Fantasy X has Titus. Yeah. Like, when I watched the, because, uh, you know, they're remaking an HD remaster of Final Fantasy X. This is spoilers for the future of the podcast. But uh, there's, like, they, they the, at the Vita live, or the Sony, like, Japanese press conference thing that I watched live-streamed, they, like, briefly showed a scene from Final Fantasy X, and it was Titus kissing Yuna. And it was just, like, the thought of someone kissing that fucking piss at that motherfucker Titus. Like, I threw up a little bit in my mouth. I'm like, oh, my God. He's the most repugnant, disgusting, piece-of-shit character. Like, like, I wish he was a human being so I could slap him in the face. Fuck Titus. And ten, if Titus wasn't in it, could maybe be okay. But fuck Titus. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Fuck Final Fantasy. It's all terrible. Fifteen is at least getting back heavy into the crystals. And I, yeah, yeah. I always love that the crystal is the main motif in one through six. Yeah. And, and yeah. four, it's, you know... Four of the crystals have this emotional weight to them because you have to kill these people to get it, and then that's your emotional turmoil. Yeah. And I really will say the hook for me on four is Cecil. I think as a protagonist, yeah, yeah. someone with that level of emotional turmoil, and then the switch you make later in the game and become a paladin and stuff, mm-hmm. it it hits and it, it hits. Yeah, it, it's, hard. it's it's like it's one of the things I really like about the game is that like it's so weird because this is such an early JRPG. But it doesn't have the JRPG cliche characters where you almost feel like it should be the other, other way around. That it's like the earliest games would have the highest occurrence of the cliche characters, and that's why they're cliche characters. It doesn't work that way. It's like almost every single one of these characters I feel are like really unique. Like the only one is like Sid, but he's like a weird recurring like transdimensional like something. He gets amnesia every time he goes to a different Final Fantasy universe. Apparently, that fuckers <laughs> in almost all of them. I love Sid though. Yeah. And I always love how they use... And I love how in Sid in... In some games you have to go find Sid. In 4, he's your friend at the castle. Yeah. And, and I, sometimes you are... Like, Sid is you. He's just inside you. It's like Sid is with all of us, I think. Final Fantasy sixteen. you play as Sid. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. You're building airships. You're going out. You're having fun with your airships. Yeah. That'd be great. All right. So, enough talk about... Final Fantasy IV. Yeah. Really good game, though. Let's talk some news, Sean. Okay. Let's begin. Again, we're going to just split it down the, down the list. Nintendo, Microsoft, yeah. Sony. So and Nint- this is actually this is the order in which the news came out, because this first piece of news was like immediately after our last podcast came yeah. out. Pretty much immediately after our last podcast, Nintendo had one of their dumb Nintendo Direct things. Yes. And the big news out of that was a redesign, the, the third redesign of the Nintendo 3DS platform, it, it, which will now be the Nintendo 2DS. Yeah. And... I literally thought for a couple of hours that this was a joke. Yeah, when I first saw the headline and like the screenshots, I was like, "It's what are you what are you doing, video game website? It's not April first yet." I'll also you admit, jump the gun. I'll also admit, I saw this news while scrolling through through Kotaku, and Kotaku is known yeah. for bullshit stories like that. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I don't I, go to I don't I don't often, yeah. but I was there. And that's where I saw it, and so I just didn't take it seriously. And people were tweeting about it, and I thought, yeah, it's kind of a funny joke, haha. And then, later on, I found out this was real, and I couldn't... Be- like, I, this is so hard to fathom, just because it is the ugliest piece of hardware yeah. I think I've ever seen, at least in the modern, like, video game generation. Yeah, it's definitely, like... And I'm, I'm kind of weirdly of, like, two minds on how I feel of the Nintendo 2DS. Because, like, the logical, rational part of my brain is saying, this is actually probably a really smart thing that Nintendo is doing. Like, I think this device is going to sell very well. It's coming out on the same day as the new Pokemon games. It is designed for younger children. 
So it's like, logically, it's like, okay, yeah, like, this is like super cheap, like $140 version of your 3DS that plays your DS and 3DS games that comes out on Pokemon Day for the kitties. Like, smart move. Then it's like the, the non-rational part of, like, the emotional part of me is just like, I see it and I hear the name and I'm like, that is the stupidest motherfucking thing I think I have ever heard. And as someone, the fucking Nintendo 2DS, are you shitting me? And it looks like some bullshit Fisher Price, like my first video game console piece of plastic shit. That it's like, it, it's so stupid. It looks so stupid, and the name's so dumb. I've seen pictures of it, like with a piece of wood on the back, and it looks like an axe. Yeah, I love all the different pictures people have made, but like. I can't even get to the point of... like I can see the logic of it, like you said, for kids, yeah. Pokemon Day, blah, blah, blah. But even then, I feel like every step of it is so botched. And my number one point I want to make that I have not seen enough people hammering home is that the fucking 3DS has a depth slider. Most people play it in 2D anyway. You don't need another console to play your games in 2D. Well, I, I mean, that's, I don't think they're not... I mean, okay, the name kind of weirdly implies that, but that's not what they're saying. Like, they're... Since it's because it's like sixty dollars cheaper, like that's why because the 3ds presumably the 3D aspect of the 3ds presumably costs a lot of money to put into the fucking machine. Yeah, that that's why they stripped it out. Which but I think it's another say, example of Nintendo proving that their bullshit gimmicks do not cash. Except on. here's the thing: I want to make clear also, as someone who owns a 3ds and has played many of the biggest games, the 3D element to me is the best and most exciting element of that console as a piece of hardware. It is the one gimmick of Nintendo's post-GameCube days that I think is not a gimmick in a lot of cases. In Super Mario 3D Land, for instance, you cannot play that game without 3D. If you play that on your 2DS, you will have a very tough time because that game was made for three-dimensional gameplay. And I think a lot of the other games I've seen on there, maybe it's not essential, but for one, the graphics look exponentially better. If you play any 3DS game in 2D, it looks Fuck ugly. It just does. It's super pixelated. It looks super blown out. The colors are washed out. It doesn't look right. They were These games are designed with 3D in mind. It's a different kind of graphical interface. And it looks good. It is the best implementation of 3D I think I've seen in movies or in games. Because it is actually integrated into the storytelling, into the gameplay in a lot of these games. And that's cool. That's something where I, I don't... Personally, I'm not a huge fan of the 3D gimmick, but the 3DS is the one thing where I've seen on a couple of games, this is a new way of doing a gameplay, and it's an interesting way of doing it. And I think there are some games that you absolutely need it for, like I already mentioned Super Mario 3D Land, and again, the whole thing about the graphics just look worse when it's with it off. They just mm -hmm. do. Animal Crossing 3D... Uh, whatever that game's called, Animal Crossing New Leaf, for instance. Yeah. That's a gorgeous game in 3D. Um, there's just such richness to the colors. There's The textures are really nice on it. And then if you turn it to 2D, everything looks kind of jagged. It kind of looks compressed. I don't... Maybe the 2DS will have an advantage of... Maybe they'll be able to render it in such a way where that's not the case. I don't know. But I think... I understand why Nintendo is kind of going on this track where they're deprioritizing the 3D because 3D was a fad when they made the 3DS yeah. and it's no longer a fad in the United States or Japan, really. Um, kind of still is in some parts of Asia and Europe, but that's you know, not their core markets. Yeah. And so I kind of see all that, but at the same time, it just it kind of disappoints me because this is, this is the one gimmick to me that was at some point more than a gimmick. And I, them backpedaling on this in this kind of way... 
I don't know. I would. It's it disappoints me in that way. And then the system just looks dumb. I have. I look at that system and I have no idea how you hold it. I have no intuitive sense yeah. of how that thing holds. Like, like I've read articles by people who've actually like been able to play on it, and they say it's like, yeah, it looks like it's completely unwieldy, but it's actually totally fine. Okay. So well, it's like by people who played it, they say it's like, yeah, no, it's. It, like you can, you can. It's not like it gives you hand cramps or something, as from what I've heard. But yeah, again, like I, I don't own a 3ds. Like, and it's kind of sad because it's like, because I don't, because one, like I don't particularly care about platformers, so I wouldn't have probably played Super Mario 3D Land anyways. Like the only games on the, the 3ds that I kind of am interested in are like Fire Emblem and Shin Megami Tensei 4. And Fire Emblem Awakening looks gorgeous in 3D, just oh. gorgeous. Yes, but like, and then like the Ocarina of Time remake, I maybe would pick that up. So it's like when when I saw like 140 dollars for the device that can play DS and 3DS games, I'm like, oh, that seems kind of cool. And then I looked at it, and it's like I could not live with the shame of holding <laughs> this thing and saying I bought a Nintendo 2DS. I like, also I wanna... couldn't do that. I couldn't. I couldn't go through with that. I also want to make something else clear. This is not as big of a discount as people are making it to be. It is not $70 off. It is $70 off of the 3DS XL, but this is the same screen size as the regular 3DS. So that's the system you should be comparing it to. That is currently 170 This is 30 bucks less. Hmm. That is not a significant discount in my mind for what they've taken out. I don't think it is. And I think that's the thing people are missing, and people are only comparing it to the XL... This is not a supplement to the XL. The XL is a bigger version of the 3DS. This is an alternate version of the 3DS. It's the same screen size, just flattened out without mm-hmm. the, the hinge and stuff. Yes, and without... And I will say also, I think it's weird that we're marketing this to children when this one is much more susceptible to damage by kids because it does not close. And those cr- screens by kids, I can just tell you from kids I've seen playing with the 3DS, that will... Like, my cousins always have their, their 3DSs and stuff, and they scratch those things up like motherfuckers, even with, like, they can close it. That would get destroyed in a day. Yeah, but, well, it won't fuck up if they, like, have the 1% thing of, like, like kids younger than 7 years old playing on 3D systems. That will, yeah. like, fuck their heads or whatever it is. Although, again, the that 3DS, like you can put it legally had to put that warning in there. Of right. Like, hey, if you're yeah. a small child, you shouldn't be using the 3D... Yeah, and although if you're a, you know if you're an intelligent parent, you could find the parental controls to shut 3D off on the console. Yes, well, video games have told us that most parents are not intelligent parents, and most parents have no idea what a parental control is. So. Yes, that's true. So I don't know. It's uh, business wise, I see where they're coming from, but yeah. I don't know. It just Nintendo is out of touch in so many ways, and the 2DS to me just seems like I don't know, dude. I think it's going to sell like fucking hotcakes. Like I think I think this well anything related to the 3ds yeah. is selling like hotcakes now. I think this one especially, especially coming out on Pokemon Day, I think was yeah. But they could have released smart. they could have released anything, any any redesign of the Nintendo 3ds, and it would have sold like hotcakes on Pokemon Day. Yeah, but what if like what other are they going to release the 4ds that travels through time? Like like what else? What the, other version of like the it almost seems crazy to me that they're like how fucking long has the 3ds been out for? Like two years at most? Maybe three at this point. Like it's like how do we have three redesigns of the fucking system already? That seems that's what seems crazy to me. Yeah, that it's like you know usually you have to wait like three to four years for your first redesign, and then you get your last your third and last redesign right when the thing is about to fucking go out the door. Like the 360 and the PS3. Both just very recently got their third redesign. Although the Game Boy Advance SP was about a year after the Game Boy Advance, mm-hmm. and that was really the last big one. There was the Micro. Yeah. And was, yeah. But there, I don't there know. was at, the Micro. At the time, you may have thought the Micro would have done better. No. I, okay. Nobody would have thought that. Nobody that looked at the Micro would have been like, that seems like, a, that seems like something I would use and I would buy. 
I, I own the Game Boy Micro. Do you you are the single human being on the planet who thought that, so <laughs> I don't know why you're not excited about the 2DS, because this seems a hell of a lot like a better idea to me than the Game Boy Micro ever was. Well, that's probably true. The Game but... Boy Micro, that's like fucking Virtual Boy levels of just dumb. Like, yeah. this is like... But here's the thing. Yeah, this is pretty stupid. Here's the thing. Blood. The thing I'm most excited for probably in this Pokemon game is that it's got fucking 3D graphics for the first time. I assume it's going to make spectacular use of the 3D feature. On the 2DS, I... I don't know, dude. Don't Everyone know. else I've talked about with that like plays the 3DS, nobody else gives a shit about the 3D. Like, but how many people actually else... give it a chance? How many people actually play games with it on and experience it? I don't ask that, but it's like, you know, they... I've like Presumably everybody gives it a shot and is like, yeah, whatever, I don't like it. But like, again, like I feel like if you bothered to play with it off, if you, but at the point where you're turning it off, it looks no better at all, and in some ways worse than the original DS hardware. So at that point, I, I know the appeal I of the DS my, is not the graphical capabilities of it. I guess know. not, but that was the thing that made it a step up from the DS. I just, you know, that's the point. And if they if they just wanted to call, I don't know, if they wanted to ditch the whole line and say now we're just making the you know the new Nintendo DSs, they're like this, they play all your games, whatever. Uh, but yeah. Like, the one thing about the name of the 2DS that I think I love about it is that it's like, we've had a DS, and we've had a 3DS, and now we have the 2DS, which retroactively now implies that the original DS only played games in a single dimension. Because now we've got the 1DS, the one is implied, you know, the 2DS, and the, which plays 2D games, and the 3DS, which can play three-dimensional games. So it's like... What the fuck was the original DS? Was I playing games in the single dimension? The, oh, like, one dimension? And I never realized it? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. It's fucking mind-blowing, dude. Yeah. So, oh well. Uh, still got that dumbass circle pad on there. Yeah. 2DS. Buy it if you hate yourself. Sure. That should be the tagline. Or I guess if you have kids. But, you know. Yeah. Even then, pay the extra 30 bucks. Get the regular 3DS. It will it'll last longer for your kids. You can toggle the 3D off if you want. You can lock the kids out of it. You know, if you are a parent listening to this, I, I stress you just, you know, get the... And you could get it used, I'm assuming, for much cheaper than the 2DS. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. I don't think it is as much of a price cut or anything as people are making it out to be. Okay. So... Alright, what else? What other Nintendo news did we have? Uh, there was a Wii U price drop that also, like, that's... You know, sure, like that system's been out only for a year and we're already getting a price drop, but it hasn't even been out for a year yet and we're getting a price drop. Not as bad as the 3DS yeah, price yeah, drop, though. Yeah, which was like a couple of months, right? Like three it or was, four. It was three months and it was a $70 price drop. So that's when, in fact, the 3DS went from 250 to 170 hmm. And they did this ambassador program for it, which was nice if you owned it. I, I owned a 3DS on day one and I got 20 free games for that, so I felt that was you know a good way... And to say sorry for the price drop or whatever. Yeah, but sorry. We but then buy this ridiculously overpriced piece of hardware. Yeah, but then the the Wii U. I actually did see a couple people were bitching about how they weren't doing an ambassador program for the Wii U, and I don't know. That's they. It's it's. Yeah, this seems much more fair for one. It's not nearly as big a price drop. Mm-hmm. It's almost a full year out. And well, even then, like systems usually don't get price drops to like two years to three years. No, out. Like, but you know, that's like one year. It's pretty. Not, not even one year. Yeah, it's but pretty, it's it's like ten months. It's also pretty obvious this had to happen. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have price dropped it, but it's definitely I don't know. It feels again like a, almost like a tacit admission by Nintendo. That's like we're just we don't know what we're doing. Like no. I don't know. It is we're how- lucky that people bought the 3ds now because we almost fucked that up so bad. Yeah, 
They are damn lucky yeah. with the 3DS. But then also, I, yeah, and then the, the, the price drop will be a bundle with the Wind Waker with HD. Wind Waker HD, which the interesting part, the other interesting part about that with Wind Waker HD is that the you will be able to download the digital version of the game two weeks before you can get the retail copy. Which is like... That's pretty cool. Yeah, which is like, I, I'm definitely expecting that's probably going to be a more common thing going forward of like the digital version being available earlier than the retail version. Because if you want your hardcore audience to not buy physical media that's like the number one way to do it it's like if like if my options were to get a physical version of gta 5 a week from now or have gta 5 right now but i have to buy the digital version i'd buy the digital version in a heartbeat like yeah, i don't care here. enough about the physical thing like i fucking want to play that goddamn game yeah so yeah i um, think that's a cool nintendo doing something right is leveraging the digital marketplace in a way that nobody else really has yet Yes. As far as I'm aware, like the only other place that I could have done that is PC. Nobody buys PC retail, so right. So that's kind of cool. I, I do wonder if Wind Waker HD will help the Wii U out at all. I'm kind of thinking think no, so. like, because I don't think a an HD remake of a GameCube game that that has a very passionate fan base, but like again, like that when it came out, that game was not that well received. I don't, like I don't. While there are a lot of people that really really love Wind Waker, I think that there are a lot of people like me that when it came out, I was like. Ah. And like the HD version, still, eh? Like, the, I would maybe try an HD version of Twilight Princess because I don't like playing Twilight Princess because it looks like shit. Wind Waker still looks totally fine. I don't need it in HD. No, I Wind, wanted to play Wind Waker. Wind Waker is a gorgeous game, yeah. however you play it. And it's just it's a self-selecting audience. That's the people who buy that are going to be the people who yeah. already played Wind Waker. And it's a pretty. It's not the kind of numbers they need to move the Wii U. Yeah. And I don't even the price drop. I think. You know, I, I think I think consumers are not hugely savvy, but they're savvy enough to get that the Wii U is not a good deal. Yeah, right I don't think this is going to save the Wii U by any stretch of no. the imagination. And, you know... Maybe, I read, maybe I read they... an interesting report recently about how Nintendo, even if the Wii U just flops and dies spectacularly as it is right now, Nintendo will not be in trouble because they are, compared yeah. to most companies in the world, just flush with cash. Yeah, yeah. They sure. are... Tremendously soluble, like mm-hmm. they they have they're solvent uh, financially, yeah. and they they have like literally like billions upon billions in cash in their bank holdings before you even get to stocks and things like yeah. that. And most companies in the world at that size, all their money is in stocks. Yeah. Nintendo just has billions in cash. They have they can ride this one out. Yeah, I mean, but, Nintendo's been around for like hundreds of years. Like it is a very old Japanese company. That's like they were. Video games was not the first thing that Nintendo did. Right, it's interesting, but yeah, yeah, no, like they, the thing that that might happen if the Wii U does not sell well is they might not make a Wii Three yeah. or whatever the fuck they call. They, yeah, they might not be in the home console market anymore past the Wii U. Like they might just be like, "Fuck it, we're just making the 4DS now, and you can play games with scent." Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you, you get the new Pokemon, and the, you will be able to travel back in time through the game and trade with people playing Pokemon Red in like 1990. Three, you know, and like that's what the Nintendo 4DS does. Yeah, which would be fucking awesome. I totally buy that. A time traveling console that'd be pretty cool. I play. I just like good, like give myself a like a level 99 Charizard when like I first got Pokemon Red and just, like destroy my brother and everyone on the playground. And it's like now all of a sudden I have all this like self confidence and stuff like in the present. And you're rich my in the whole present. life. Yeah. You won Pokemon tournaments and you're yeah. rich in the present. Yeah, yeah, be awesome. All right, so... Make it, Nintendo, please. I'm desperate. I need something here. All right, any other Nintendo news? 
I, I think that's it. That's yeah. the big ones. All right, let's move on to some Microsoft stuff. Xbox One. We finally got a release date. And yeah, it, that they just kind of like it was the put most, a video out one day. I didn't even know there was a video until you told me about that today. Oh yeah, no, I never just saw like it one day. Was, there was a video. It was just so low key. It was on. I saw it on Twitter first, and then a couple sites had it up, and it wasn't even necessarily the headline everywhere. And after that day, no one was talking about it. Yeah, it was yeah, the most like low key. Announcement ever. Yeah, but the release date of the Xbox One is November twenty second, two thousand and thirteen. Which, which for you know people with a long memory might remember that in two thousand five on November twenty second is when the Xbox three hundred and sixty launched. And it is so, a Friday, which matches. Yeah. It's the Friday. Yeah, it's following. the week following uh, the PlayStation Four's release in North America. Mm-hmm. But the Xbox One is releasing in all of its like two or thirteen countries that it's now releasing in after they paired all those back. Uh, it's releasing in all of them on the same day. So since the the PS4 is launching in Europe, although like by like ten more European countries on the 29th, the Xbox One is launching going to be launching in like the UK and some of those key European countries on the 22nd as well. So yeah. it's a year or it's a week later in the US, but it's a week before in Europe for Microsoft. So it's like kind of in this weird straddling position, and is more or less exactly where I expected it to be. And for some reason, like, everyone, like, all the gaming press online is like, we all thought it was going to be earlier than the PS4. And it's like, I don't no, know why anybody yeah. thought that. It always feel, felt like, I always expected it to be, like, a little bit after after the PS4 announced they're going to be November 15th. I would be really surprised if it had been we, earlier. We definitely talked about yeah. talked about this two weeks ago because, it. yeah, we both thought it's going to be later. And, uh, and hey, lo and behold, it's... Yeah. November 22nd. Yes. So, one day before my birthday. So I just missed that weird coincidence again. I just really don't get the strategy of how they put this out. Do you want to talk about the video? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the video is just... It's really... It's like two to three minutes long. And it's it's a really funny video to watch. Because it's like... Oh, fuck, what's his name? I think Yusuf Mehdi is it's one of the dudes. He was the guy who like demoed all the TV features when the Xbox One was announced. And so it's like one of the big Xbox spokesperson corporate peoples. He was sitting there in a chair, and opposite him was some woman that I that also works for Microsoft, and she was like interviewing him. So it's like this Microsoft employee doing this scripted interview with another Microsoft employee, and it's like the most awkward, stilted, corporate fucking bullshit you've ever seen. Like if you know. Microsoft was trying to appeal to, like, the hearts and minds of the people and paint themselves as not being, like, this big corporate monster like everyone rightly believes Microsoft to be. You know, like, Sony has been doing a great job of making them feel like we're being led by, like, people who who know what people want in their video game console. You know, we've got, like, Shuhei Yoshida out there. He's a fun, happy dude. I love Shuhei Yoshida. I'll buy a console that Shuhei Yoshida wants to buy. Like Mark Cerny, he's a cool, calm, smart fucking guy who knows what people want in a video game console. It's like, you get this very, like, Apple, we know what the people want. We are a people's company, even if we are, like, this massive fucking corporation. Vibe from those guys. Then Microsoft, it's like, we are this machine. There are no people at Microsoft. There are Microsoft employees that are like cogs in the fucking, the, the the grand machine that is the Microsoft corporate structure. And we are going to tell you with happy smiles that the Xbox One is releasing on November 22nd, 2013. And the Xbox 360 launched in November 22nd, 2005. That was fun, wasn't it? It's just like, oh god Microsoft. Oh god, what are you doing? Like This is just so... Icky. And I guess the biggest thing that confuses me about the announcement 
is not the date. Date seems perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah, it's exactly what I expected. Yeah, and I don't think that'll. I don't think they're at a huge disadvantage yeah, just from the date. Yeah, it's, it's not a big deal. Whatever. There's, they've disadvantaged themselves in other ways. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, such as public image. But in any case, yeah, I just think it was confusing because, you know, Sony made their announcement at Gamescom with a bunch of other announcements. They had this global platform. Yeah, like this huge press conference live-streamed everywhere. So not only did that news get picked up by everyone, including big major news sites like CNN, like non-gaming sites. So it was big. It was everywhere. Everybody knew. November 15th. That's the day. And not only that, but they were able to push a lot of other news with it. So for for a week there, everyone was talking about the PS4 not just be not just because of its release date, but because they used the release date to you know hitch a bunch of other yeah. good news items on. And Microsoft just kind of dumps this out there like it's like they're announcing I don't know uh, a firmware update. Yeah, they it's remembered this, YouTube existed, so like, yeah, fuck it, here we go. So it's just this tiny little announcement, like it doesn't matter at all. And it's November twenty second, and again, it was it was. A big headline, kind of, in some places. IGN had it in their hot bar yeah. at the top, but it wasn't even necessarily the first item. Yeah. That day, I believe, they had also their GTA Five gameplay footage out. Mm-hmm. So that was that was prioritized on IGN, for instance, above that. On Polygon, I don't yeah. think it was the highest item all day, even. Uh, stuff like that. So it just it wasn't all that big news. Yeah. It was kind of there for a couple hours. People talked about it, and then it was gone. And, yeah, really, and it's, it's weird. It's weird, especially for me, because, you know, like, I keep really strict track of this kind of stuff like I watch all the press conferences and stuff and so I just got up one day and then I just went on the internet and was like oh the Xbox One's coming out November 22nd I'm like what the fuck how did there was no fanfare I had absolutely no fucking clue that that was going to be announced I like I think they maybe like hinted at something on Twitter like we're gonna put a video out later like I think earlier in the day like they had hinted at like you know in like the afternoon we're going to release this video and it's just like but when I just got up on the internet, it was just there. It's like, you, what is this? Like, you know, Sony, like, everybody knew. Like, like Sony, like, hinted, like, a week out from Gamescom that, hey, we're probably going to announce our release date at Gamescom. And everyone was kind of excited. It's like, oh, what the fuck's the release date going to be? And they wait. And it's like their big thing they drop at the end of the press conference. Like, huge fucking date up on their, like, awesome black-blue, like, screen that's, like, they have had the same awesome, like, press conference setup since the PS4 reveal that I think is really cool-looking. It's like, okay, like, cool, November 15th, I, that's a, yes, cool. It's like, Xbox, it's like, oh, hey, IGN says that uh, the, the Xbox One's coming out on November 22nd. Oh, there's a link to a YouTube video. Oh, that's a weird video. It's like, there's no fanfare, no spectacle. It's like, so disappointing, because I was, I was wondering, like, what, when the fuck is Microsoft going to announce this news? And it's like, eh, they're just going to kind of do it. Yeah, and I, you know, I, as I said before, I think it's less... It's less important the release date and stuff, yeah. but I just think having that in the public mind is good if you're trying to sell these things. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, Sony doesn't even necessarily need to publicize the release date so heavily because they're going guaranteed to be sold out day one. Yeah. They've already said. I mean, the Xbox One order, is going to be sold out day one. Probably, like, yeah, both too, of these, but not, these systems yeah. are going to be. Right. You will not be able to find them on shelves, all yeah. for sure. Of course, and but you know, Microsoft is still the one that you can still go pre-order an Xbox One yeah. if you want. They probably need that edge a little more, and it probably would have been good to rustle up some fervor and say November fifteenth, November twenty second, and then maybe if you were on a fence, some people would go pre-order or something because they know the date or whatever. And it just there wasn't anything there. And as I said, Sony also used their release date to pump a bunch of other news out there. Mm-hmm. So again, PS four was on everyone's minds. Xbox One got lost in a sea of current gen information because that was also a big week for GTA five news. Yeah. So 
just a weird strategy. I really didn't get that. Yeah, I have no idea why they did not announce it at Gamescom. Like, presumably, there there must have been something going on with, like, the manufacturing where they wanted to make sure they're going to have the units they needed and, that's mm-hmm. the, like, they didn't need to push back the date any further. But this is almost about as late as they could possibly go without, like, interfering with Black Friday, so. Yeah. So, who knows? Hope it, you know... We'll see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of was there any other big Xbox news around this time? I don't think so. I don't think anything else has really been going on. They just kind of like said, yeah, that's when we're coming out. And okay. it's silent since. Yep. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, Sony is taking the stage again, though, as we're transitioning in here. Yep. This was their... To, we today, last night, kind of had their... Technically... Pre- no, today. Oh. Okay. At the very... Like, for our time zone, literally, as early as you possibly could be, starting at midnight... Today. Okay, tell us about it. Yes, yeah, so they, they we knew about this the uh, Sony like holding this big press conference in Japan for Japanese audiences that like you know like talking about the Vita and the PS4 and that shit for Japan because basically all of their like big PS4 stuff so far has all been in the West. You know their fucking PS4 reveal event was in New York for God's sakes, and so. They're, they're finally, like, addressing the Japanese audience, and obviously there's a huge time difference between Colorado and Japan, so last night, I was about to go to bed, like, was looking at my laptop before I went to sleep, and was like, oh, fuck, that thing's happening right now. I guess I'll watch it, and then I watched it, and the whole thing was, like, two hours long, so I ended up going to bed at, like, 2.30 in the morning or something, and so I only got, like, four or five hours of sleep this night, but, yeah, like, that's... And it, it was a pretty cool, cool press conference. They announced more new cool stuff than I expected it, like to kind of keep me interested in watching it. But it was also really fun because, obviously, it was in Japan. Almost everybody like presenting were Japanese people. They had, like, Andrew House was out there, and he speaks Japanese, apparently. I did not know that. And, uh, like, so, like, the conference was in Japanese. Like, almost all the trailers were in Japanese. But they had an English live stream of, like, people translating and overdubbing it live as it was going on. Which was convenient, like, I kind of was, like, swapping between the two, like, just kind of like, ah, at least the dub people, like, are giving, you know, it's not what, like, live translating Japanese would be super fucking hard, like, that, like, everything about that language would make that very difficult, so I do not blame them for not being able to do that in, like, the, the best way possible, but I was, like, sort of hopping between those two live streams of just watching the Japanese version and the English version, but... The English version was fucking great when they started showing trailers, and especially I think you can find this on YouTube somewhere. But uh, there's the when they showed a trailer for Knack because when the PS4 is launching in Japan, uh, there's going to be a bundle with Knack or something. So they showed a new Knack trailer, and when it starts out, like there's a lot of dialogue, and it's like you know it's a trailer trailer. Like it's like we get exposition, 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 then like a joke. And it's like, explosion, one-liner, explosion, one-liner, explosion, one-liner, then fade to black, release date, you know? Every fucking trailer you've ever seen, you in no way, even if it's in Japanese, in no way need that trailer translated for you. Nothing important is presented in the dialogue. It's a fucking trailer. You don't need it translated. But the woman who was doing the dubbing, she decided, like, it was weird because some other Japanese trailers had been shown that they didn't bother to dub at all. But she decided to basically dub the whole trailer, which, like, trying to listen to one woman dub over a trailer for a Japanese video game where she clearly was not, like, a gamer. Like, like she like she didn't, like, like wasn't able to sort of, like, keep up with sort of, like, the, the phrasing and stuff of, like, this, like, weird dramatic video game thing. And have her dub over almost all male characters fucking great it was so funny because it's like you have all these 
Like, the dialogue is so fast and cutting between them that it's like she couldn't keep up at all when she's trying to, like, do these, like, deep voices for all these different characters. It was amazing. Like, that part was fucking awesome. That was the best part of the whole press conference was was listening to these people trying to live dub trailers in Japanese. It's like, I don't even know why they bothered, but that was great. But other than that, I guess we want to talk about the, the actual big news that came out of the press conference. Yeah, where do you want to start? I mean, we have the PS4 release date in Japan, yeah. which is February 22nd, 2014. So Japan's getting kind of jiffed there, but they'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just let's just, just talk about that right now, because that was like the... That's the only really major PS4 stuff. There was some other stuff, but uh, yeah, the release date, which is February 22nd. And that's... I mean... It kind of shows you how much the video game market has changed since the PS3 launched. Because I believe the PS3 came out in Japan like a week earlier. And the PS2 was like months earlier in Japan before it came out over here. And obviously when you're talking about like the Famicom and the, with like versus like the Nintendo Entertainment System. The Famicom's the uh, Japanese name for the original Nintendo console. That was like a year before it ever came out over here. So you've seen like the... Japanese market, like, over the last, like, eight years, lagged behind the Western market to the point where Sony recognizes that the Western market of North America and Europe, especially North America, because this is, like, Microsoft's sort of home base, we've, like, the, the, the North America is almost entirely Xbox-owned. And so they've seen that's, like, so much more important as a market than trying to appeal to Japanese gamers that are moving away from home console markets and moving a lot more towards handheld and, like, the iPhone market is really big over there. So so they've realized, hey, like, fucking, one, Microsoft's not gonna be able to do shit in Japan. They, they never have, never fucking will. Like, like, Microsoft's just never gonna make any traction in Japan. Japan's not a huge market. It is a market that is losing interest over time, whereas the video games are becoming more and more popular over here in the West. So it's like, they're putting all their emphasis on over here. Like, you know, we're coming to fucking November 15th. Earliest date is fucking in America. Sony knows where the battle lines are. They know what markets they need to appeal to. And they're, they're like, directly targeting them. And so for Japan, like, they even said, like, one of the reasons why they're waiting so long to come out in Japan is, one, they need to localize all the Western games that, you know, are coming out over here. And, like, so there will be actual fucking release games in Japan. And then they need, like, a small handful of... Japanese-oriented video games. Like, there's there's some sort of visual novel bullshit thing coming out. There's, the like, a new version of Dynasty Warriors 8, which is, like, going to be, have a PS4 edition that's coming out. And then there's the new Yakuza game, Yakuza Ishin. That actually was a really fucking cool trailer. Because apparently it takes place in the Meiji area, era in Japan. I had no idea. I would play the shit out of that. It's fucking... It looks super cool. You're playing as some, like, Shinsengumi dude. It was cool. It was a really cool trailer. I don't know if the game's good. I've never played the Yakuza game. But... But that's going to be a PS4 launch title as well in Japan. So it's like, they had to just wait these months because, like, no Japanese, traditional Japanese developers are, it seems to me, very heavily interested in making home console games. Like, that's not where the big money is anymore over there. Like, for God's sakes, one of the, like, PlayStation 4 exclusive games, like, Japanese games that they advertised is a port of a level 5 studio RPG made for the iOS, like, for the iPhone. So it's like, that's... Yeah. You can see, like, that totally tells you that's where that market has gone, for the most part, and that's where it's going to keep on going. Yeah. And so, yeah, they definitely are like, fuck it. Like, Japan, the people who are going to buy a PS4 in Japan are going to buy a PS4 in Japan. Nobody's going to buy an Xbox One, so we don't need to worry about it. You can come over there when it's ready, when you have games, when everything's localized. We can just drop it off, like, 
nobody cares. Like, over here is where the battle lines are, so. And I imagine, actually, that's going to work out well for them in the long run, because then, you know, someone, a, a Japanese person who buys a PS4 on launch day in Japan will get a really good, you know, set for their, their, their society and, you know. Yeah. Their country. It won't be. It sounds like it will not be diminished for them. They're taking the time to make yeah. sure they get a good PS4 experience. It's like a couple of months is right. not a huge deal. Like that's yeah. very easy for me to say because it's coming out first where I live, so fine, who cares shit. But, but I am saying I think yeah. I just think from Sony's perspective that's better for them. Yeah, than yeah, putting yeah, out a compromised release. Yeah, yeah, yeah it would so, be really dumb of them to try to rush it and only have like three or four games come out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the other. The other big PS4 news, big-ish, that I saw on my list was they put out a little bit about Final Fantasy XIV on the PS4. Yeah, um, that's not that's the, not what I was thinking. Like, I mean, there's one of the cool things is because, you know, the, the beta or whatever is ongoing for the PS3 version right now, and apparently you'll be able to transfer characters from the PS3 version to PS4 version. So that's cool. Like, and I'm I also saw that you will be able game, to... But... No, no, I'm just saying I, there were a couple things came out about that today. Uh, if you bought the PS3 version, you get the PS4 version for free. Oh, I didn't know. If I, they didn't bother to translate that part when okay. I was watching This was maybe something that came out yeah, with okay. it, but Yeah, because I haven't had any time to... Because after I watched the live stream, I went to sleep and then immediately went to classes when I got up and have just gotten back when we recorded this so yeah. I've not had time to digest anything else right um, but otherwise, other than that most of this conference was yeah well, well there's one one other PS4 thing okay. of they showed deep down which okay. is that Capcom game that originally was shown at the PS4 reveal event and they had like a pretty extensive like live demo and trailer of the game actually playing and it looks pretty cool like you know the original reveal was just like this kind of bullshit CG trailer and we had no idea what the game really was other than fantasy stuff and apparently, it's fantasy stuff. It's some sort of dragon or like dungeon crawler that maybe has like a loot element. They said like uh, the levels are randomized and monsters like are somewhat randomized in some way. It wasn't entirely clear what they what they meant because again, I was watching a not fantastic translation of the press conference. But the weirdest part of the deep down stuff was uh, it's almost weirdly Assassin's Creedy in a way of apparently. The actual frame for the game is like you're some dude who when you touch objects, like this is kind of a common telepathic power in like fiction. When you touch objects, you can relive the memories of like people who've held it and stuff like that. So apparently, that's the framework of the game. So you're not a dude just fighting d- dragons in some cave. You're a dude who touched the thing that was touched by a dude who killed some dragons in some fucking caves. So it's just like Assassin's Creed where it's like, you're not this cool, badass Italian dude who's running around Renaissance Italy, like, assassinating people. You're a dude who's like the great, 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 great grandson of that dude, and you're in a computer reliving that dude's life. It's just like, but you're actually a dude playing as the dude reliving that dude's life. So it's like this weird abstraction. Did the game look good to you? Yeah, the game looks fucking cool. Like, I don't know. Like, like uh, we didn't, like, get a lot of, like, meat and potatoes of what the gameplay is. Like, it sort of looks like a hack and slash 3D thing. I don't know. The game looked gorgeous, like, graphically. But it seemed cool. But it's like, I have seen a similar narrative setup in a video game, and it's not at all work well for that video game so <laughs> yeah maybe this game will not have a great story I don't know but who knows we'll see um, so yeah that's that's more or less it for PS4 stuff yeah so you want to talk about some of the PS Vita stuff yeah because it's mostly and this again shows Sony knows what the fuck they're doing in the Japanese market or like it very much shows what the Japanese market is like nowadays that almost all of this press conference was Vita stuff whereas where all the western focused stuff the Vita was like a like a footnote at the beginning. Of right. Like, hey, we still have a Vita. There's going to be like a price cut or something. Yeah. Let's uh, let's start with the slightly less interesting news to build to the big one okay, here. Okay. Sure. 
Um, at least what in my conception is less interesting. Yeah. There will be a Vita redesign. Yes. This has been long rumored. Um, it'll be the, the 2000 series. This was the PSP. They had a 2000 series, 3000 series. It got multiple redesigns. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the, the most radical redesign in the yeah, world. Yeah, it looks pretty it's, similar. It's like it's a little bit thinner. It's got a longer battery life. Yeah, it's it's, it's 15% lighter, 20% thinner. Um, I believe the screen is the same size, but it's an LED screen and not an OLED screen. So it is a it's diminished quality in that way. Um, but it's it's cheaper and it comes in six colors and uh, it doesn't actually. Have... I'm pretty sure it's the same price as the Vita now. That oh, it the is? price drop. Like I don't okay. think it's any cheaper actually. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, and I and I would be cautious about the screen stuff because that I have heard that be going back and forth a lot. That it seems like the the translation on that was maybe a little bit funky or something. Oh, really? Okay. That, like like. It's definitely not an OLED screen, but like from what I've seen, people aren't sure whether or not this like the new whatever the screen actually is, whether or not it's going to be worse or better. So okay. I'd wait until we get more information before making a judgment on that. Okay. Uh, either way, yeah, you get you you basically get the you do not get a diminished Vita experience overall. Yeah, I'm totally. I'm looking at like the back of the system. It's the same back, just with different colors sometimes. And if you've ever held a Vita, it's a, a tremendously comfortable, yeah. portable gaming platform. I love playing that thing. And it uh, looks like it's it's very similar. This is only coming out in Japan right now. Probably. Yeah, like all this stuff that we're going to be talking about is all Japan. Like, like, don't make any necessarily any assumptions about this stuff coming out over here, even though most of it probably will. Like yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I'm 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 probably actually less sure about this thing than the other thing for now. Oh, the other thing's definitely coming out, but this yeah. this this I, one I, just because they just did the price drop here, I don't think it's a priority here right now. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I think it'll make its way here eventually. Sense. Certainly, and for the, some reason, almost none of those colors will make its way over here because that's how it works. Yeah, for some reason, the Japanese market gets all the really like all the different colors for the handheld system. For us, we get like blue and black or something. Right. So either way. Um, you know that's kind of cool. Uh, what, yeah. And it comes it also, with a built-in memory yeah. card. Yeah, well, gig. yeah, it has one gigabyte of in like built-in memory. They also announced a whole new frontier of memory storage on the Vita, which is a 64 gigabyte memory card, which is two times the the, the amount of memory in the previously biggest memory card, which is 32 gigs. Now it's 64 gigabytes, which is a hundred dollars, which is which is the same, I believe, as what the 32 gigabyte was priced at before the price drop. Yes, that's true. So it's actually, judging by Vita memory cards, it's a huge amount of value for the amount of memory you get. Judging by, like, common logic, it is a terrible value for the amount of memory you get. But yes. Uh, what, what what size memory do you have in your Vita? Um, I think I have a 16. I have 16 too. Totally, totally like, it's, it's something where it's like, I have it filled up, like, but I don't need to, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if I... That's what it's, I was going to say. It's, it's more than enough memory I need. Like, I don't need to have a dozen different game, like Vita games loaded onto my Vita at one time. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that definitely with the way the PlayStation infrastructure works now digitally and with PlayStation Plus, I can have all my save data in the cloud, so I can easily, yeah. like, Persona 4, I have on there, Persona 4 Golden, just because I love that game and it makes me feel safe to have it on there. But I could, it's in cloud storage. I could take that off, put it back on, I wouldn't lose anything. Yeah. So stuff and like that. And me, it's, I just bought a physical card that has Persona 4 the Golden on it, because I know I'm not ever going to put another physical game inside my Vita <laughs> yes. ever so it's like why would I bother and I would never delete Persona 4 the Golden from the Vita so why would I bother taking up like 5 gigabytes of memory when I can just fucking put a card in there and right by the way, I mean, my point is, you know, you can yeah. download anything on the Vita. You can get everything digitally. I have never bought a physical game on there. I just get digital stuff, and you can re-download it as many times as you want. You can back it up to your PC, Mac, PS3. Yeah. It's super easy. You do not need significant amounts of storage yeah, on yeah, that. That, that. That 64 gigabytes is excessive. Like, 30, like if the 32 gigabytes card was, like, 
reasonably priced. Yeah, it was like ten to twenty dollars. I might pick that up just for like the mild convenience it provides me. But yeah, sixteen yeah. gigabytes is totally fine. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I do, for instance, is I just put all my Vita games on my PS3 and just pull them off there when I need to because Wi-Fi at my house is kind of slow, and the Vita does not have the world's most powerful Wi-Fi in it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's all sorts of ways to do it. You do not need a ton of storage. If you're a Japanese person listening to this, yeah. you do not necessarily need the 64 gigabytes. I know it's tempting to give your 10,000 yen away for that. Yeah. had to do the exchange really quickly in my head there. <laughs> but, yeah, don't do it. Put it yeah. towards games. You could buy, like, Four games for that. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. It's, it's like you could buy just like like wait for a sale for like PSP and PS One games. You could buy like fucking fifty. You know, I know. it's ridiculous. Yeah, so, buy yeah. two years of PlayStation Plus and have games out until twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, so that's the Vita redesign. Um, it definitely seems like something that you know it's it's not so radical that the the appeal of the system is lost, but I think it'll give it a nice shot in the arm in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Um, Trying to think if there were any interesting games. Like there were definitely a lot. Like there's a there's a Fantasy Star game that was announced. Like Fantasy, Fantasy Star, Star Nova. Yeah, Nova. Like I I keep on forgetting because it's Fantasy Star Nova and it's Soul Sacrifice Delta, yeah. which is a new Soul Sacrifice game. So it's like I keep on thinking it's like oh, it's Final Fantasy or it's Fantasy Star Delta and it's Soul Sacrifice Nova. Nope, other way around. Easy mistake to make. But yeah, that's those and those seem interesting. Who knows? Like, I'm sure Cell Soul Sacrifice Delta will probably come over here. But Fantasy Star Online 2, which has been out for like two years, it's the MMO version in Japan, that has not yet been localized, even though they said it would be localized, it has not been localized. So who knows if Fantasy Star Nova will come out over here. Hopefully it does. But yeah. uh, did you ever play Soul Sacrifice? Uh, I played the demo. It seemed okay. Like I never I played the demo too, it didn't really grip me. Okay. I could kinda of understand why it was a hit in Japan. Yeah, yeah, wasn't. it definitely is it like Judging on other Japanese games or like games of that style, it seemed good. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was not something that like I, I enjoyed the demo, but it didn't grab me enough to be like I really want to play this game. Yeah. All right, so that's all that. Uh, big, I think the biggest news and the most surprising news yeah. was they've announced the PlayStation Vita TV. Yeah, well, that's this is definitely the big, the big interesting yeah. thing out of the, the press conference. So the easiest comparison to make is to the Apple TV. It's yeah. a little set top box, although it's much smaller than an Apple TV, probably half the size of that. It's like a deck of cards mm-hmm. is what I've seen it compared to. Uh, it's little, it's white. You connect it to your TV via HDMI, and you can play Vita games via a slot. And then stream. Yeah, there's a there's a card slot for the games, and then also a memory card slot. In it. Yeah, yeah. So you can just basically like if you have your memory card with all your games in it in your Vita, take it out, put it in your Vita TV. I assume. Yeah. And use it the same way or yeah. play card games, uh, and then uh, and you can use a DualShock Three, the PS3 controller, to play them. Yeah. And then when the when the PS4 comes out, they'll patch in DualShock Four support. Okay, cool. I was that's my question. Was like, why only DualShock Three? Well, they'll patch because this is coming out November fourteenth. It's coming out like three months before the PS4 is coming out in right. Japan. So okay, that's good why. point. Good point. Uh, like they don't need to bother about worrying about DualShock Four support yet if you're getting this thing at launch right. in Japan. Okay, so that'll be patched in, and you can stream PS4 games to it using remote play. Yeah. In case just playing it off your PS4 isn't good enough. Well, no, I mean, yeah, I know, I the, see what the, yeah, the obvious situation for that is if someone else is watching, like, football on your TV, on, like, your main TV, and you're like, hey, I've got a TV in my room. Like, this, when I was living at home, this would have been very useful of, like, yes. they are taking up the main screen TV, but I have this TV in the basement that's, like, I don't have the Xbox hooked up to. I could just stream it down and remote play that way. Like, that's yeah. Cool no, no, I see it. And, uh, well, you honestly, were making fun of it, which is a cool fucking feature. Like, I think it's really cool. No, it's a cool feature. I, the I don't Vita, know why you're making fun of it, asshole. I'm sorry. The Vita TV is actually something that interests me. I yes. think it's an interesting product. I it's not something I personally 
would get looking at all the features probably although if it were I don't know if it were 50 bucks one day I probably would just pick it up for the hell of it I like the idea though of playing some Vita games which definitely feel like they could be great bigger screen experiences yeah. like I would like to play Persona 4 Golden stream that to my TV me too And but how I would play it how I would play Persona 4 the Golden is and I'll just you know like normally playing the game I'd just be playing it on the Vita and then when I go into the TV world then I hook it I put take it out and put it in the PS Vita TV and so then I'm playing when I'm in the TV world I'm playing on the TV and then when I come out of the TV world that's when I take the cartridge out and put it back in my Vita and then I'm going through my school day and just playing on the Vita okay that's how I'd play that game because that would be fucking awesome that'd be pretty that'd be a good way to like get yourself into it exactly yeah but no, there. I mean, Vita games look great, and they'd probably look great on a TV too. So that'd be kind of interesting. You can also stream all your PS One classics and stuff. Yeah, over and it. then like, and then also, it's just like it's a it's a media device, you know. So if like if you want had a, a TV that does not have anything that allows you to stream like Netflix and stuff like that too, you'd be able to buy this and do that. Mm-hmm. So like that. Definitely, yeah. if it has all the stuff like Apple TV has, which is Netflix, uh, Hulu Plus, HBO, it would have. Go. It would presumably have every single app that you could get on the Vita, which is. I th- I mean, maybe not HBO Go, but all those other ones. HBO Go has not come to any yeah, PlayStation yeah. platform yet, although I assume it will in the future. Um, but definitely, if it had that, I would get rid of my Apple TV and get this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, um, it, it definitely would be able to do Netflix yeah. and Hulu Plus. So it definitely, and, and, and I guess, I guess for me, what I'm saying is just because I know I'm getting a PS4, this does not do enough on top of what the PS4 does for it to be attractive to me. Yeah, yeah like but, I would only like like how like my situation right now. This wouldn't help me any. But like I could see a hypothetical if I like was in a, moved into a bigger place or something that had multiple TVs had to deal with this issue of like I might want to have Netflix streaming on all these TVs but I don't have enough devices to do that with this I think would be a very convenient like thing to pick up that would also like have added functionality with your PS4 and PS Vita that like buying a Roku would not do for you. I, it's definitely this kind of thing where if you're going to be in the PlayStation ecosystem, this would yeah. be a nice tool. Yeah. Um, just a little addition. Should say it's a hundred dollars, so that's also like a pretty cheap price point. Identical to the Apple TV, yeah. So. so pretty good there. I I like. I I kind of think this is an interesting idea. It's definitely something that should make the Vita more attractive to some people. Like I like that they're making the Vita this cross media platform. You can use it in all these different ways yeah. now, and that's going to be kind of interesting. Um, although I'll admit, I look at this and I'm like. Oh, I really wish the PS4 could just do this on its own. That'd be awesome if the PS4 just had a Vita card slot. It did everything. That'd be great. Yeah, like the the, the PS4 could just magically beam its signal into any TV you wanted. Amazing. But the PS4 cannot do everything, sadly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not God in video game form, unfortunately. Yeah. So you think this will come to the United States? Yeah, this will definitely eventually come. Like it, maybe. It, it might come out in the States by the time the PS4 launches in Japan. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, this definitely seems like something, too, that they could bundle with the PS4 when it launches that might be a nice way to get the price yeah. up a little bit. So, looks pretty cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I think it's a smart and really interesting move of like them yeah. sort of like putting their foot into this multimedia, it's yeah. like the multimedia ocean, whereas like... Microsoft tried to drown themselves in it when they announced the Xbox One with like TV sports bullshit. Yeah. Like this is like, hey, you know, obviously it doesn't do the TV stuff. It's like you have this device that does all the stuff you need in like this compact, cheap form that also adds functionality onto the PS4. Like that's a much smarter, smarter way to me to do multimedia than how Xbox One was trying to do it. But. Yeah, I agree. So, um, and it has more advanced Wi-Fi I'm looking at here than the PS Vita does. So don't have to worry about that. 
Um, the specs, you know, it goes up to 1080i because, you know, the PS Vita is not a full 1080p device for games, yeah, I don't yeah, think. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't make any sense because the, the screen is not that high resolution on the Vita. It's it's, like, well, it's also 5 inches. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, right. it's not a big deal that it's not that resolution, yeah, yeah. but it's like, it'd be ridiculous to expect a Vita game to be like 1080p. Yeah, like, so. It's pretty good. Though. Looks, looks. It's definitely a, an idea that you would not expect, yeah. and it's surprising, but it's not a bad surprise in the 2DS sense of the yeah. word. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's not... Like, I don't even know I can't even come up with a name that'd be dumb enough like as dumb for this as the 2DS is for what the 2DS right. is you know and I think the Vita is obviously in kind of dire straits in some ways but I, I think, think it, it's, is, it's pulling itself out well this like, is what I was yeah. going to say I think they're making some very smart and subtle moves where in the United States they very clearly focused on this is just a great indie game machine yeah. in Japan they focused on this is a great AAA platform machine yeah and, and, you know, they're doing the redesign in, in, in Japan, price cut over here, yeah. price cut over there, Vita TV, I, the, the remote play support with the PS4. They're just making it a very attractive proposition yeah. and highlighting that this is a tremendous piece of hardware and here are some reasons that owning it is a good deal. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, the, but the Vita, like, financially, it's doing better. Like, it is on an upswing. It's selling yes. a lot more than it used to, so. Absolutely. So it I'm, makes me happy because it's, it's such a great piece of hardware. It's a great system. It really deserves, yeah, to do a lot better than it does. But Yeah, I, I love playing it. It's so easy to play. Honestly, the reason I am most excited for the PS4 is because it's taking a lot of the philosophy from the PS Vita, like the way the menu, you can just put a game to sleep instantly yeah. or go do something else and come back to your game and you won't have lost anything. It's just, I love, the Vita really feels like a next, gen kind of thing to me and I feel like that's our first big taste of it yeah. and the PS4 is going to be like the fully realized version of that so I'm I'm super excited about yeah. all that so but anyways the by the now we get to the actual most important thing that was revealed at the the Sony press conference last night or this morning technically what was it Sean which was okay so when they're doing all the Vita stuff they they revealed there's going to be a bundle with like the, I believe it's with the new version of the Vita that's going to come with like five different otome games which for those who don't know it's basically like the video they're all visual novels and it's like that genre is like the video game equivalent of the trashy romance novel it's coming packaged with a white version of the vita in japan so if you are a young girl in japan who likes playing visual novels about kind of hot boys who are really interested in girls that really aren't that interesting there's a fucking con there's the vita is the console for you and they fucking proved it I was impressed, impressed by Sony's just, I don't know, watching that press conference is so interesting because when they're doing the Vita stuff, the marketing for Japanese video games is so different that it's like made me think about how you would never, ever in a million years in fucking North America or anywhere in Europe see a video game press conference that has like a whole five minute section dedicated to something marketed towards adolescent girls. Never would you ever see that over here. No, ever. And it's like I just think it's so funny that like we as uh, you know like the video game industry is, is having all these issues with like thinking about like representation of women in video games and sexism and stuff like that. That kind of like definitely has got brought back up again and again and again very recently with like some comments that Hideo, Hideo Kojima of Metal Gear Solid fame made about like a character named Quiet who's like in a bikini basically. So it's like everyone's like oh this female character is in bikini and it's like everyone's like sort of like you know it's very commonly happens with Japanese developers because they have different ideas of sexuality and representation in that country. So I think it's fucking fascinating that everybody like you know complaining about all this shit never bothers to look at video games that are actually marketed towards women in Japan. 
that we have none of that here. Not a single fucking one that I can think of other than like Barbie Adventure or like a Bratz game that would come out for like the Game Boy. You know? Right. So it's like, I don't know. I thought like, because that's something that you would never hear about that. Like nobody's going to run a story about a white Vita bundle in Japan with like five games aimed at adolescent girls. Yeah, I had not heard about this until yeah, exactly. right now. Like you, I would never have known about it if I did not watch that live stream and I just saw it and I was like, I, don't, I think that's fucking fascinating. Why does nobody talk about this? But Right. Yeah. That's probably a really smart move on their part. Yeah, because it's like, it, it shows, again, it's like, that's like what the Japanese market is. It's like a lot more people play video games because of like, you know, they have to, they play video games because, you know, you're sitting on a fucking train for like an hour to get to work or something. You, you want, to, want to play a game, and so that's why handheld consoles are really huge over there. And the like the smartphone, like iPhones are starting to take that away. So it's like I think it's really smart that Sony's like, hey, like let's put this huge emphasis on the Vita and market the Vita towards like alternative markets, or definitely what we would consider to be alternative markets. Right. So yeah, I, I agree. I'll definitely be importing one of those when it comes out. <laughs> Absolutely. I no, and I agree that's that's a fascinating case study yeah. and a, a very interesting one. So is there any other big gaming news we want to get through? <sighs> I think that's probably about it. Okay. Well, then let's move on. We're going to talk about Red vs. Blue Season 11. But we said at the start of this podcast we had not seen Episode 12. Episode 12 actually just came out. We're okay. going to pause and watch it. Okay, sure. Why not? Yeah, fuck it. Let's not make this podcast outdated literally the second it comes out. All right. That's a good idea. We're going to watch Red vs. Blue. See you in a minute. Yeah. Okay, so Sean, I can't believe you were right. It was 2D animated. Yeah, no. That's, that was crazy. And then it went, you know, like taking a uh, direction from Nintendo. They just wouldn't do it with one-dimensional animation. I yeah. thought it was just like straight lines And I was really impressed with how much story and humor They could convey with just straight lines Alright <laughs> We just saw episode 12 for real um, Let's talk uh, Sean overall uh, I'll ask you first yeah. What have you thought of Red vs. Blue season 11 so far? I thought it, I've, I think it's been pretty funny Like I haven't loved it as much as Most like Red vs. Blue seasons as they were airing But I think it's good I know I like it I have more complex thoughts I guess I feel like um, last year was obviously a really landmark year for the show Season yeah. 10 One of their best seasons mm -hmm. Arguably their biggest and richest um, It definitely felt like the show kind of made a creative leap mm -hmm. um, They were telling a much bigger story uh, Much more in depth And I, it was very funny at times Very dramatically satisfying They obviously took a step back this year And I'll, and I'll admit Since season 6 Which is the first non-Blood Gulch year Yeah, Reconstruction Right, Reconstruction They've done all the odd numbered seasons Have been like throwback years yeah. To the, with season nine was half throwback, half kind of looking forward with mm -hmm. the CGI stuff. Yeah. But and and I have not liked those seasons. Season seven, I just kind of flat out don't like. That's the uh, re creation one. Yeah, recreation. Uh, and recreation, I think, has some funny bits, but overall, I think it's a pretty big mess. Uh, then season nine, I strongly dislike the blood gulch parts of that season. I think it's. Just as blatant an example of treading water until creative resources can be thrown at yeah, it as I've I, ever seen. I, I like season seven okay, but I agree with you with the the blood culture aspects of season nine. I don't think are particularly good. And, I'll, and so I'll say, after season ten, I was particularly disappointed when I saw they were going to be doing another blood culture throwback year this season because I just season ten felt like the show moved forward so immensely that doing it, going back again would be a disappointment. And I was actually surprised to see. I should also say, usually I don't. 
like Red vs. Blue seasons when they're airing as much as I do when I watch them all at once. In fact, I often get fed up, and, and some some seasons I've just waited until they're done and watched them that way. Yeah. Um, I think I season 9 might have been one I had to give up on while it was airing week to week, and then I wound up finishing it when it came out on DVD. But uh, season 10, I thought they had really mastered the episodic content. Like, each episode really was satisfying and everything. Um, so I, anyway, that's kind of my baggage carrying into yeah. this. And I liked the first seven, eight, nine episodes of season 11 actually a whole hell of a lot. I thought they were very mm-hmm. funny, probably just in terms of straight humor value. I was laughing at this more than anything since the Blood Gulch Chronicles. I thought there were a lot of really funny bits. I thought swapping out Church for Washington added a new dynamic to the blue yeah. team that was interesting. I think Washington is a character that has been become increasingly funny, and he had a good dynamic there. Mm-hmm. Um, some good caboose material with him being sad about Church being gone. Um, some decent red... The red team is always the most hit-and-miss element of this show yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Like but it definitely... I don't like. I think in particular the Sergeant Griff stuff. Like that's just it's played out. It's so it's been so overdone at this point. It's like we get it. Sarge wants to kill Griff. Yeah, and and also I feel like that's a narrative betrayal because they have moved past that in many yeah. ways over the last couple of years. So going back to it doesn't really make sense. But I like the first couple episodes. But I was also waiting for the story to kick into gear because my usual arc with Red vs. Blue Seasons when I watch them week to week is that I'm frustrated until the story kicks in and then I'm more interested. Like, Season 5 is a perfect example where when I go back and watch the whole thing, I actually really, really like Season 5. Yeah, Season 5 is a great season. It's a great season. At the, at the time, when it was airing week to week, there was a while where I was kind of frustrated with it until things kicked into play and then actually some of what I thought was non-story material kind of came back into play. Mm-hmm. It got very good very fast. But Season 11... We just watched season 12, or episode 12, and I think halfway through it I said to you, oh, they almost did something story-driven. And that's been my entire feeling with season 11. I am so sick and tired of the narrative cock teases this season, where every episode has to end with the dude in black who we don't know who he is, like looking at the reds and blues with a sniper rifle and saying something ominous, and then we have melancholy music that is in no way earned for an Mm -hmm. emotion at the end of the episode. And that's every fucking episode, last uh, episode 11, was like half devoted to that guy. No actual story happened, though. And so I am... We're 12 episodes in. There's probably only 7 or 8 episodes left. I'm really frustrated at this point. And actually, my breaking point with this season to the point where I'm... I'm probably going to wait until it's all over now, having seen just episode 12 here, kind of reaffirming what I thought. But, like, episode 10 was the big frustration point for me, because I was really hoping they would kick something into gear there. Yeah. And, because episode 10, for the last few years, has been the year, I usually where tech shows up. Yeah. But also, story kind of kicks into gear at that point. Especially in season 8. Yeah. Um, that's where that all kind of came together. And this year, nothing happened. And episode ten was the one where I mean, they very deliberately because you know the the more hardcore fan base were all expecting something right. to happen in episode ten that they very deliberately sidestepped it with like when Donut steps in and, and stuff it annoyed like, me because I don't ever need to see Donut again. I don't ever need to see Doc again. I sure as shit never see need to see Lopez again. I didn't think he was funny past season two. I never need to see Lopez. I was angry when they brought that character back because I actually he, thought, he's had like a line dude I just don't I, he's not funny he's not a funny character he says stuff you know, in Spanish I, I agree Ooh, but again he's, he said a, he said a line I okay. think maybe two lines okay. since he was introduced like I, three episodes fine. ago but, but this, the point still overreacting, stands the point still stands I don't think Donut's funny I don't think Doc's funny I like Donut okay, uh, okay. I think Doc's been a little I don't know like I, I don't know why especially Doc they keep on bringing back like with Donut 
I think Donut could be really funny. I don't think I just don't think they've used him well since the Blood what's, Gulch Chronicle. Yeah, what's a joke beyond just gay jokes? What jokes have they told with Donut since the Blood Gulch Chronicles? But None. you can honestly you can say that about almost all the characters no. in terms of like they have yeah. they have their shtick and they've they've had that shtick for a very very long time. And, so and like that's, that's been the problem. But you know, yeah, back in the Blood Gulch days, which I still think are the show's best seasons as as a whole unit. You know, Donut had other shadings. Donut could be inept in yeah. ways that had nothing to do with the sexuality jokes. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's why I'm saying they've used him poorly since then. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I, that's, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see Donut come back, because I want them to have Donut really come back and, and be funny and a part of everything again. Because since the, you know, since those teams got split up, they never did a whole lot with him. And now that, like, Tucker's back and he's, like, in, like, full force, you know, like, yeah. I've, I'm really happy with Tucker. And I want Tucker's I been want funny Donut, this season. I want Donut to have that too. I want but Donut just, to come back. Yeah, but just season ten was another big narrative sidestep where things almost happened but didn't. The big thing now is that Caboose is the leader of the blue team, which is a plot point that feels very half baked to me because leadership yeah. has never meant anything on Red versus Blue. Mm-hmm. It kind of does on the red team because Sarge, that's his persona, is that he's in command. Yeah. But even then, and the, and but they and they already did a great joke with that in season six where Griff has become a sergeant. Yeah. And uh, Sarge demotes him. And all that stuff But anyway And so that that joke to me That's now been a three episode arc Has not played out Interestingly to me Freckles was I thought uh, The big robot dude Was funny yeah, like At the beginning Freckles. And I still like Caboose's yeah. sort of Interactions with Freckles In episode 12 We just watched He wants to make Freckles A small hat And I like that joke Yeah But at the same time It just It really feels like Treading water It seems like This was the season That was made entirely Because the animators Are going off And doing Ruby and they didn't have yeah. any resources to throw at this other than Miles. So Miles is writing and directing it. And I think he's doing a decent job. And I think that sometimes he's done a very good job. Yeah. But from an overall arcing standpoint, it's very frustrating. And the fact that just nothing's happening. And that they, but, and I wouldn't mind nothing happening if they didn't do these constant narrative cock teases. Because those do nothing for me. I don't care a damn about who the guy in the black suit is or any of that. Because he doesn't mean anything yet. Yeah. So if they just wanted to do 20 episodes of jokes with the Reds and Blues, I wouldn't necessarily love that, but I would like it more than if they did that punctuated by almost story, but never real story. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like, for me... I, don't, I, always, I feel like you almost, other than, like, I think the last season, you've almost always hated whatever's going on with Red vs. Blue as it's airing. Like, it, like it's always... I like season really 6 and 8. You. Season 6, yeah. 8, and 10, I, I liked while they were airing, and I liked them when they were done. I feel like when I was talking to you about like when season eight was airing, I don't think. See, I think season that. eight. I still think season eight has problems. All the stuff with Doc and Washington has always. I mean, I think. Me. It's, yeah, it's I mean, too I much think of the season. Yeah, is, I think it has problems. But and like, I, think I think you were like you were very frustrated with it when it aired too. But here's the thing: season eight eventually kicked into gear, and I think yeah. I liked it at that point. I will. I probably was hard on season eight for its first yeah, ten episodes. Yeah, you definitely. Yeah, no, you. But were. we're past ten. We're well, you know, we're past we're the halfway two, point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we still got eight episodes left. But like, my point is that like my attitude with Red versus Blue is like, you know, like I, I agree with you that I don't necessarily find these off years as interesting as the on years, I guess. But I also like. You know, like, it's a, like, five-minute, like, web video that is, like, if there's, like, three or four laughs in there, I'm kind of happy. Like, I don't know, like, I don't, I, I don't expect, like, a huge something from it. Like, I guess even I don't after need they, it, but... Like, even after last year, like... But last year they pushed it further, and I, I guess my view creatively is that if you're not going to stick with that, and if you're determined to regress... I personally don't need to see it. And okay, I mean, that's fine. Like, for me, that's like... That's like, I'm just saying... Yeah, like, I don't... I don't care. Like, it's like... It's it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Like, for me, my biggest problem with this season so far is I think, in terms of, like, the style of humor, 
it's very clear that Bernie's not like writing everything anymore because there are there are too many like topical jokes. Like you actually like when we were watching the episode, you pointed out they made a joke about Siri, and you're like, oh, very topical. And I felt that like oh, being every, sarcastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like every single episode, I feel has had like a handful. Like there are there are other ones in this episode too of like jokes that's like. I don't think they're funny. Yeah, either. Red versus Blue has never like like those kinds of jokes can be funny in the right setting, but Red versus Blue with like its narrative structure and its like whole conceit of like this is like takes place in some sort of Halo esque universe, it doesn't make sense that like they make a Siri joke or it doesn't make sense that they'll make some reference to some like pop culture thing going on right now. That's like it always whenever that happens, like like Doc said, have you guys ever seen Lost? It's like that doesn't like I hate like they made they made other lost jokes before and it's like it doesn't I, make sense it doesn't like it doesn't work for me when they ever make like these sort of like pop culture jokes and like there's no, been I, way too much this season that always kind of like turned me off to the humor aspect and honestly it's things like that 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 really do when you look at this in the context of the series they would make they made the stray Battlestar Galactica joke and lost joke back in the first five seasons. But yeah, but it's it was very rare. It was, it was very rare that they would make a right. pop culture joke. And was, this one is at least one every episode, but usually multiple ones each episode. I agree, and they're they're a problem. But I w- my my point I was going to make is that even when they made them back then, they yeah. fit more back then before the show had gotten its own set in stone mythology. Yeah, yeah. and the show honestly, I think, has moved to a place where even if they want to go back and do more, you know, laid back seasons, I think they have to recognize where the show has gone. They mm-hmm. have to recognize that these character relationships have excelled past the point of just Griff and yeah. Sarge hating each other. And I do think it's kind of a betrayal to having watched the show for 11 years if you're going to make a season that just ignores most of what's happened in the past. Yeah, it's the, the tricky part with that is that if you're trying to do... Like, like, I completely agree with you, but like I can see from a writer's point of view, the comedy aspect of it, like, it's... It would be very hard to keep on making seasons that like that have a strong comic bent if you're trying to take all those like very dramatic character arcs into account. Like I'm like yeah, you but... run. It, it's almost like having like a romantic comedy or something and having the people get together too early. Like it's like you need to. There needs to. There can't be that much character development or else you don't have anything to go off of anymore. I guess so. But the flip side of that also is that even if none of that had happened. More jokes about Griff hating Simmons or, or Griff. Yeah, I think they've got or, they've they've been stale for a long time. Yeah, but it's like it's an issue of the characters being this old at some point that it's like. Well, and does does Red versus Blue either need to end or make a big change? Do we need? Yeah, I mean, I I've, honestly I think it should probably end at this point, but like it's yeah. not it's not a big deal to me, right? Like I, mean, I don't I don't like I don't love the season. I don't hate the season. Like, I don't feel like I've loved Red vs. Blue since probably Reconstruction. Like, I really liked the last season, but I wasn't, like, infatuated with it. Like, I think they, there were some parts of it that were really cool, but it's like, I don't know. Like, like for me personally, Red vs. Blue has run its course of being, like, something I'm really into, and now it's like, yeah, okay, that's kind of funny. No, and I agree, and I, I, I think season 10, for me, I was more invested in. I, I really liked it, and I felt... I guess why season 10 worked for me where other seasons hadn't and it was such a culmination of what they had done where season 10 would have been the perfect ending point. It really hits yeah. a really nice full circle and I think it's it's emotionally hits all the right notes. It's still funny. It's exci- tremendously exciting. The production values were off the charts. Lots of good stuff there. And yeah. I don't know. I feel like Red vs. Blue this year has such less of a voice even if you compare it to comparative seasons like, yeah. you know, Blood Gulch Chronicles days or something. They're just... And obviously, we're 11 years in. That energy just isn't ever going to come back that there yeah. was back in season two, which to me is the show's best season. Um, You're wrong. It's season three, but... I, I, season three is one that does not hold up for me anymore. I, I really, watched I that. Really, I still really like season okay. three. 
I mean, I think maybe it's a little hard to necessarily watch all in one sitting, maybe, but... I don't think it's funny. I think season three has interesting narrative I stuff. Really I think funny. season three... I, season two is my favorite because I think it is the funniest, and yet it also moves at a good clip. It doesn't have pacing issues. It's season two. And I also quote season two more than any other piece of media. I quote Red vs. Blue season two all the fucking time. Because that one, that just season to me is so... Just hit for hit, joke for joke is like a... The batting average is so high on that one. And I guess when I watch... You know, and that's the thing I always kind of compare these kinds of seasons of Red vs. Blue yeah. to. And I think season two, honestly, is a good model because it was in, enormously funny and it wasn't as convoluted narratively as a season three or a season yeah. five or something. That's true. And yet it still told stories and it still, the characters moved over the course of that season. Things yeah. happened, mythology was uncovered. Yeah. But again, that's because those characters had space to move. Like, like these, again, these characters have been around for so long. At yeah. a certain point, they almost they can't do anything more with these characters eventually. Yeah. That's like. Well, then I, I think know. it's probably time to start contemplating us. Uh, if they need Red versus Blue for, for revenue, and I understand that, probably either a new team of Reds and Blues or a, a spin off of some kind or something. Yeah, because like Digimon, like like Red versus Blue Adventure 2, where you have all the new kids come in, but then it's like Sarge is still kind of around to give them advice every now and then. Sure, yeah. why not? Something to reinvigorate it, and honestly, having, you know, in season 10, the freelancers there, that kind of stuff, that reinvigorates it in a way where if you just reduce it to its original elements, it yeah. doesn't work anymore for me yeah. as strongly. And, you know, I hope the next eight get better. I, there's, there's clearly a story that is going to happen here. I hope it doesn't happen in the last minute of the finale. Yeah. Which could happen. I mean, that's basically season seven in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Is the finale had story up to that point, really nothing. Yeah. So... We'll see. Um, that's that's Red versus Blue. Their other big production right now, I just want to touch upon in case people ask about it, yeah. is Ruby. Um, which Ruby. was huge. I mean, that is their big push right now. Yeah. That yeah. had a lot of hype. I, it's very popular. Um, yeah, I haven't, and, like, I haven't like, looked on forums or like subreddits or anything. Like, yeah. So I don't know. Like, it's the number three most streamed show on Crunchyroll. Uh-huh. So... Crunchyroll, quit encouraging them. Let's 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 just say it. I how much of Ruby have you watched? I still have only seen the first episode. Like I was going to like in preparation for this podcast because I knew we were going to talk about Rooster Teeth stuff. I was going to watch the rest of them, and I was like, I don't, I just don't, I don't want to. I watched up through episode five. I actually watched the premiere. Didn't watch. I was tried to watch episode two, turned it off, and then I came back and watched everything up to that point, which was episode five or it was five. What are they at? Like eight or nine? Eight, now? eight, eight came out last week, so we're at eight. And I was going to watch six, seven, and eight for this podcast, and couldn't bring myself to. Yeah. And I guess what we can say it right now, our opinion on that show is somewhat low. Uh, and, and I, I mean, the, I should say since I've only seen the first episode, I can't say a whole lot about it. But like, since you've seen more, and like I've talked, you want like, me to give the yeah, yeah. You since you've seen more of it, you can give your spiel on it, okay. and I'll give my interpretation of like what I felt after I watched the first episode. I want to lead with the positives because I do think Ruby is an interesting production in some ways. There is an energy to it, and a I don't want to say voice because that's my problem with it. But there is an energy to it, and a yeah. and a style to it. But mainly the energy that is different than anything Rooster Teeth has ever done is a little different than a lot of the stuff out there on the internet. And is charming to a certain degree. I think the yeah, characters... I will, I will agree with that. That like, at, for nothing else, for what it is on the internet, Ruby is very unique. Yeah, or its space is something that a that a web series would be. It's very strange and unique. And I want to give Rooster Teeth, you know, a small round of applause for Swing and for the fences with this yeah, one. Yeah, for giving it a shot. Cool. They clearly threw a lot of money and resources at this, and it is something that I feel is fleshed out to a certain degree. That is, you watch it and it it feels like something, you know. And, and that's good. But what it feels like, and this is my issue with voice, is that I think 
backing up a little bit, you, there were four trailers that came out for Ruby. Yeah. They were almost like proof of concept pieces before the show launched. Yeah. And those, to me, none of them had dialogue or anything. They were very atmospheric. I mean, some of them had a little bit little, of dialogue. Yeah, here and there. It was not good dialogue. No, not, it wasn't. But, <laughs> but I liked Premonition those, of things to come, perhaps. Yes. I, I liked those trailers generally because I thought there was a voice to them that was unlike yeah. on other Rooster productions. There was kind of this big mythological tone, kind of reverential. Yeah, especially the original, the red trailer, the Ruby yeah. trailer of, of, of Ruby, the, the main character, and like her death scythe fighting yeah. like werewolves and shit. Like, that it was mo- so crazy and cool and looked like a trailer for like a Bayonetta-type game, but in a really cool way. Yeah, and I was, I was super excited to see Ruby and see what it was actually going to be because those trailers seemed to have some kind of voice, and I wanted to see fully fleshed out what that voice was. And the most disappointing thing to me about Ruby the series, through the five episodes I've seen, is that there is no voice. The voice is, we are going to rip off as many silly, and not even necessarily good anime, just silly anime as we yeah. can find. We're going to rip off very every... Very generic, yeah. yeah. Very generic, silly anime 101 kind of stuff. And that disappoints me to no end because Ruby is basically pastiche without purpose to me. It's just, mm-hmm. we like these anime... Now, I'm not even going to say anime in general because I think it's a very yeah, it's, it's a specific yeah it's a specific kind of like most of it's kind of like shonen like yeah. we're in a school training in magic bullshit that's yeah. like yeah that's like yeah. a dozen different it's like scenes. we like these anime we're going to rip those off yeah we're going to take every single cliche every like trope common between all these like dozen or so different types of shows and just throw them together yeah and I don't think there's anything more to it than that there's nothing deeper to it than that uh, is so far and there's nothing that draws you in more than just the pastiche and you know pastiche is something that can work beautifully obviously the best example of this in modern fiction is Quentin Tarantino yeah. who is someone who wears his influences on his sleeves but has a voice that is yeah, 100% but, yeah, yeah, yeah but like a Quentin Tarantino movie is a fucking Quentin Tarantino movie like you're yeah. not going to mistake Django Unchained for Western made in the 70s. Yeah. And Django pays homage to spaghetti westerns and stuff, but it has substance. It yeah. has a voice that is all its own. It says something beyond the pastiche. Yeah. And and that is something that Ruby... And I, it's, it's unfair to compare Ruby to Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. But, yeah. But, at the, but at the same time, I think that's something that you have to keep in mind, which is that I feel like if you're going to have influences, that's okay. Everyone does. But you have to have those influences combined to do something more. And yeah, so you far, have to have something, your own unique... Take and voice shine through all the cliche. Yeah, because if you don't, it's like, why am I watching this show and not these other shows that did it first and did it better? Right, and that's Ruby in a nutshell. Is it's it's and, and the thing is, as it went along, I think episode one was interesting to me because for one, it's the best animated of them so far. I heard episode eight was another uptick, but basically, as soon as one ends, the animation goes off a cliff. They clearly put the money into one. And even then, one is kind of rough in parts. Yeah, but, yeah. But either way, one had an actual action scene and stuff. It was kind of interesting to me. Uh, I wanted to see more. Episode two turned me off almost immediately because they were trying to build characters and trying to kind of get a story underway. And every five seconds, there would be a thing where a character turns chibi or a thought bubble oh, pops I up. Didn't, or, no, that stuff uh, was in the first episode. Or they all they fall. Have, like chibi stuff? Yeah, and oh. they, or they all fall down when someone says something. All those anime tropes. Jeez, like and I didn't even know they went that far with it because that oh, stuff was in the first episode. Yeah. That's, that's weird because yeah. that doesn't even. Like, obviously, I haven't seen them, but in my head. Thinking about the art style, like that would not play no, it in 3D doesn't. animation. At no, it all. doesn't. And so there's a lot of that where it's just they are so constantly just doing those stylistic ticks without any narrative, thematic, stylistic 
heft to them. And so or they even understanding how those how and why those things work in the original format anyways. Because mm-hmm. like that style could not translate to 3D animation at all. No. Um, stuff like that. So it's just it's and and I just I felt like the style, the pastiche of it so constantly got in the way of anything they were trying to build. And there are things I like. I think as you go along, Ruby becomes I think she's an interesting protagonist to the level of I find her kind of charming. I, I kind of like the the voice of that character. If if uh, the performances are all a little wonky, that one's. I mean, uh, by voice, most I just of them, mean, like just having watched the first episode, other than like one character that was voiced by Shannon McCormick, I think almost all of them were red versus blue employees that are not voice actors. No, and you can tell. And yeah. And anyway, and by voice, I more mean kind of the spirit of the character. Okay. Uh, and it's the same with all of them. I think there's kind of a charm to them. I'm interested in the dynamics. Like, you know, they're very basic dynamics. This girl's a bitch and hates Ruby, and this girl's kind of nice and likes Ruby, but she's shy. Those kind of things. You know, the the character played by Barbara is just kind of a ditz. I don't know. Um, and then you have... So you kind of have those, and I was kind of interested. I want to see where those go and if they can make us... And I kind of those find those characters charming... But if every five seconds they're going to, you know, fall down or turn chibi or, or their eyes are going to go big or something like that, it's, I don't care. I just can't care about that. Because it's, it's so much style over substance, it doesn't even begin to compare. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the five episodes, they get better. Uh, five was definitely the best of them so far. Because things start happening in terms of characters are forced to start having relationships, friendships and stuff. They're like no. put into teams and things. So things happen. My other big problem, though... And I think this is something that just isn't going to be fixed as long as Rooster Teeth is, you know, the size of a company they are, is that with the style they're working in, five minutes per week is woefully inadequate. That's that's like I was actually going to ask you uh, how long because episode one was not five minutes; like it was, it was, 11. It was like eleven. Yeah, and so then, it was like I was like, this is a little too short, but at least it's not like Red versus Blue episode length, which wouldn't work at all. Well, here's what they've been doing. So so episode 1, 8, and the finale 16 are all 11 minutes, Okay, is what they're doing. And then all the other ones are two-parters with five minutes in length apiece. Okay. And I don't know quite... I don't kind, quite know how they di- distinguish the two-parters because they all just blend together. There's nothing like this two-parter versus this two-parter. They're, they just kind of all flow into each other. Yeah. But definitely five minutes... If you're using that yeah. anime style, an anime is a 24-minute format, yeah. generally. Yeah. A TV anime is, and that's what they're cribbing from. And you just can't build character. You can't tell your stories. Yeah. It's not fit for that format. And so the five minutes a week... I mean, I know through episode eight, we're still on basically the first small story of the show, which is their first training mission. So very, very little has happened on the show. So, and so it's this be- is the part where, where Naruto and his friends and Kakashi, the teacher, all go to the land of the water and they fight the ninja guy? Okay, it's that part of the if show. If this okay. were based on a manga, <laughs> if this were based on a manga, I would feel we're still in like chapter two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, in Naruto, that actually does happen like super early on, right? Um, so it's it's just all this. It's it's just the story can't move fast enough. By the time we get to the end of these sixteen, I can't imagine anything of real substance will have happened uh, in terms, you know, or maybe there will be kind of one story that happens. But even then, we're talking about you know sixteen episodes. Um, yeah, it's like because that, that's, that's going to end up coming out as like four or five episodes of like a normal anime series. Yeah, and in four and five episodes of a normal anime show, that's by the t- that's when you've gotten all the main characters set up usually, and now the actual main plot really starts. And I really do think that's one of the biggest problems because they are clearly shaping their narrative around those rules you're talking yeah. about. And if they only have four or five episodes worth of content across the sixteen they're going to be airing, that's just as I said, woefully inadequate. Yeah. I just think so much of this show has its heart in the right place, but is so misguided from an executional standpoint. 
it's a disappointment in that way. And I also say for the animation, I, I almost feel bad picking on Rooster Teeth for yeah, doing this. because it's something that it's like, it's such an ambitious thing to try to attempt that you have to admire the ambition in it. And I but do it's, like... It's too ambitious. Like, they can't no. possibly meet what they're trying to do. No, the animation, I kind of like... I like the aesthetic. I like the, yeah. the design elements of it. Monty Ohm. Characters in movement, he's great at. And the, the yeah, action... like, fight scenes are yeah. awesome. Yes, yeah. so episode five is probably the best because an actual kind of action-y kind of scene happens and it's very well executed. But other than that, it's like, it, when they're just moving around, it looks so awkward and everything is so kind of... There's no texture to anything. There's no real life to anything. Yeah. And then... Only the main characters are designed, so everyone else is just a black shadow, oh. and that continues oh, yeah, to all of it. A little bit in episode one, and oh my god, that looks cheap. I and it also makes it it reinforce. I mean, Ruby looks very much like a video game, and it, that only yeah. reinforces it. It really feels like you're watching the cutscenes to a PSP game, yeah. If that, and you know, again, I don't want to pick. I, I don't. Feel, I feel like I'm picking on the little guy because they are not Pixar, but you know, yeah, yeah. Like they don't have the resources of a full production company, but it's like maybe. But you, when you're trying to make a product yeah. that is like something that a full production company does, you need to. It does, yeah. Maybe this isn't the right route to go down. I don't know. It's it, it's troublesome that way. I think, and then I, there's the voice acting, which is just. I, again, I think uh, uh, Lindsay Tuggy is doing Ruby, yeah, and I think, Ruby, yeah. and that is the most successful performance to me of the main characters. And I think she gets better as it goes along. And I think that voice fits, even if the actual performance quality is not always a hundred percent because she's not a professional actress. Yeah, but she acquits herself well. Other than that, um, Barbara's line readings are very awkward. Um, the other two main girls, I think, they are variably successful. Um, and then all the other characters like Miles is kind of horrible in his part he plays this boy who Ruby is kind of has a crush on yeah. he's really awkward and he uh, Miles has done some voice acting and some other things I've heard and he's okay yeah. in that's not good here really the only two performances that feel adequate are Shannon McCormick is the principal and Kathleen who does Tex is the like his assistant and those are right. two professional actors they do very good work yeah. um, but other than that it, the, what I said to you after episode one is it sounds like it was dubbed yeah, not yeah, in a good yeah. way. I like I, if someone wanted to make Ruby in Japanese and like dub it back over in Japanese, I'd watch the shit out of that. Sure, yeah. it would take out a large element of distraction for me, but you know, yeah. Even then, so can I just say what I want to? Of course, say? yeah. It's like, man, you had a lot pent up there, dude. You had a, you had a lot to say. I just thought. I mean, yeah. I, I don't. I, I want. I don't want it to sound like I'm just unnecessarily picking up on the show because it does have interesting attributes, yeah. but. You know. Okay, so then my perspective after having watched the first episode and not particularly liking the first episode, like to the point where I have not watched any of the other episodes, and really I just I don't want to, especially after like hearing you describe because we talked a little bit about it, but I haven't like we haven't gotten to detail, so you just like I didn't know the other episodes were like five minutes, like that really turns me off. Anyway, so I'm just going to give like my impressions after having just seen the first episode, which are a lot in line with what you've said, is that Ruby to me. Yes, the, the, the ambition is admirable. There are some interesting parts to it. But I think it's so misguided in so many ways, especially as me personally, someone who has watched a lot of anime, and, and especially a lot of the anime that this is very deliberately cribbing from, like stuff like Soul Eater and Naruto and Bleach. That's, it, it's, I can't bring myself to watch the show because my number one problem with the show is that it basically just feels like a bad anime with 3D animation made by an American production company that puts stuff out on the internet and like and all those things in the worst way it could possibly be for any of those things like other than like obviously okay if it was a anyone of anyone other than Rooster Teeth 
this project couldn't even get like anywhere close to started. Like, like if you're like a web-based company, Rooster Teeth, that's that's not like owned by a massive corporation. Rooster Teeth is like the biggest guys out there as far as like that very specific niche is concerned. So with Ruby, it's very clear to me that like they have like the people behind it have a lot of passion for anime and that format. But anime cannot, in my mind. You cannot have a non-Japanese anime. In the same way, there is a big argument that a lot of people have about Avatar The Last Airbender, which is a Nickelodeon cartoon. It's not a fucking anime. It is a fantastic cartoon. I think it's great. It is as good as really good anime. Like, I'm not, like, saying it not being an anime makes it worse. But when you're drawing compared, it it has anime aspects to it in terms of the visual style. But an anime is cannot be divorced from Japanese culture in my mind because it's so, and that's one of the, the massive appeals to it for me is being able to see this this form of media being produced by a very alien culture that has its own tropes, its own genres, its own ideas about what storytelling is, about how you do 2D animation, that has all these other cultural and stylistic things tied to it that anyone that is not like a Japanese production company simply cannot make anime, like at all. You can't, especially I like, and it's why I don't even like tend to ever watch anime in English dubs unless it was something I grew up with, and so I'm used to it. Is because the Japanese language itself is something that I'm, I'm very attracted to and attached to, and has its own appeal for an anime show. So, like when we say that it sounds like it's dubbed, that means two things. One, it feels like you're trying to draw all these tropes from a Japanese show, but then having it be presented in, in English makes it automatically sort of feel dubbed in its own way because, like, the, the storytelling style doesn't match up with how, like, English voice acting really works and how the English language itself works in terms of how you order objects and, like, direct objects and direct objects in the language and stuff. It's flipped. And then also, their sound quality is not... And, like, like their ability to place sound in the environment sounds the same way that an English dub does of where you're, like, it's very clear... And like this obviously is not the situation for Rooster Teeth but like with the English dub usually it's very clear this is not recorded in the same way and in the same place that the like the voices were supposed to be recorded and all like the other natural sound from the show comes from so in Ruby it very much has that effect of like the voices feel out of place it's like the voice acting in some parts may be good or in other parts is not so good but either way, it never feels like to me, or didn't feel like to me, that it was ever coming from the characters speaking. Even if their mouths were moving, it was not, the, the voices were not placed into the environment properly to me. Yeah. So, like, that's all, like, it's, it's a huge problem with the show. I think that's just, like, it's misguided from, from the get-go and just how much it tries to go for anime cliche. Of that to the point where watching the first 11, the first episode, which was 11 minutes long is that you can see how detrimental it is of trying to cram in 24 minutes of what would a normal content of the episode be into 11 minutes. Like, like where they end that 11 minutes, is, that is where the anime would normally end the episode. You just didn't get all the other important shit along the way of, like, developing the character and the developing the universe properly that a 24-minute episode would provide. And it's, it's just, it, it's something that it's like, I think if you're someone who maybe has not watched a lot of anime, it wouldn't bug you. Because it's like you're not used to the tropes and it may seem like new and different to you. But someone who has seen all like all of these fucking shows, it's like I just watch this and I'm like, okay, 
this is the part where, okay, they go to the school, and then eventually they're going to have to make friends. There's going to be one person who's going to end up being, like, their enemy at first, and then eventually they're going to become his friend. It's like, blah, 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 blah. And that's blah. all accurate. That all yeah. happens. Yeah, of course it does. Like, I don't, I've literally only seen the first episode. It's like, I didn't, like, I fucking didn't even need to know that there was going to be an older sister character in there. Fucking Barbara's character walks on screen and is like, oh, hey, big sis. And they even do the fucking th- it's they even do the English dub thing of like in the Japanese language if you have an older sibling you almost always would address them as as Onechan if they were a sister or like give them like their name and then like One or something after it because it's like that is a very important part of Japanese culture is to pay respect to someone older than you especially if you're there your family member but that makes these really awkward situations where in English dubs you like address these characters like big sis or something when English people don't ever fucking talk like that. So they even copy that aspect of it where it's like this is not this is not Japanese. It was not made in the Japanese language. It was not made in Japan. It was not made by Japanese people. So you can't copy those styles because all you're doing is copying it. Whereas for a Japanese production company, that's all coming organically from the culture in which you were born and raised. And so it's like, you can't just, you can't just take it on and try to do it. It's going to be inferior. You're just going to be running through tropes of these shows and you're going to lose the appeal of why a Western audience comes to anime in the first place. So with Ruby, like, you know, the action scenes look okay. The but the all the dialogue stuff just feels felt really awkward and stilted to me because it's like the very natural movements don't feel right and even you just talking about they do chibi stuff and stuff like that of like these weird little almost kind of comic like visual asides that anime very often does that works because it's anime like like that like the specific style and it being two D animated and like you can just have things transfer instantly from one frame to the next like you know the thing where like something kind of dumb happens and everyone falls down and that's like like this like ah oh, what was that like that's so stupid that works because everyone falls down within a frame and it has like a really funny sound effect to it you can't do that in 3d animation it looks fucking stupid no and that's true of yeah. ruby um i agree with absolutely everything you're saying 100 percent. and i think couldn't have said it better myself you've seen more of these kinds of shows than i yeah. do have um Kind of frustrates me. They put the show on Crunchyroll. Yeah, Stop me too. That I was just looking at it. It's like, oh, like this. I don't know. Like that feels really. That feels really weird to me that you put that on Crunchyroll. As I said, a site that streams uh, like subtitled anime that is like currently airing and stuff. It's like as I said before, Crunchyroll don't encourage them. Yeah, you're you're encouraging bad habits, and it is the number three most popular show on that service. It just that just seems weird to like. I don't know like how that got that much of an audience like over there like. I wonder if, like, some Rooster Teeth people watch it on there or something. Like, uh, That's how I would watch it, just to get it on my TV. But no, I, I got a Crunchyroll free trial. I'm trying that service out. But... Yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't know. What, like... what real anime should I watch now that I have Crunchyroll? Uh, oh, on Crunchyroll. Like, I was thinking, like, uh, this actually might also be on Crunchyroll, but I, I watched it on Hulu. Soul Eater is, like, very... Like, this is very... It, was, it sucked because I finished watching Soul Eater... Right when Ruby started, and Soul Eater is very, very. It is the same. Like we are these like high school kids in like the sort of fantasy universe, all going to this high school to train our special abilities to fight fantasy monsters. Like, like you know, it is, it is exactly that. Only Soul Eater is fucking awesome. It's like Yu Gi Oh GX. Yeah. Only <laughs> no. Yeah, no. There's no. We don't go to like Remember Cipher Yu-Gi- Hall. Like weird. Like like. It was fucking, like, fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! GX was ripping off goddamn Harry Potter, of all things. Like, with its whole, like, we've got Slifer House, and... Yeah. 
Yeah, no. Fuck you. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Soul Eater is really awesome. I mean, like, it's a very different show, but Attack on Titan is something that's currently airing. That It has some problems. Once you get, like, eight episodes in, like, some of the pacing gets a little rough, but it's picking up now again. Attack on Titan is a fucking awesome show, especially the beginning. I definitely watched that. I know you've also talked about Angel Beats and Angel Beats. Yeah, like I mean, that's a, that's a completely different genre. But I know, yeah, I'm Angel just saying, really good. I, and, like obviously, the, like if you want to watch a show like this, but that's actually good, Naruto. Like it's yeah, yeah. You know, it's six hundred episodes. But. Yeah, exactly. Like you can start watching Naruto, and you can never stop if you didn't want to. Like I still have like I'm fucking backed up on like fifty episodes at this point since the last time I watched that. But yeah, like no, like. The, like Naruto and Soul Eater were the two things very specific that this reminded me of. But if like you wanted to watch Shonen, like you could watch a fucking Bleach, also like great show. There's no end to really awesome anime in this genre. Yeah, and 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 that's my biggest problem for like the reason why I just can't watch any more Ruby is like I was watching it and I was like, I I could watch this, but it would be a lot better if it was just like I picked a different show. Right, and so there's only every there's only so much time in the day. Exactly, like I, I could, only, and especially now that school started, like I all of a sudden like time pressure is back on me of like, fuck, I only have so much time to do the things that I want to do. So like I'm not, I can't waste like okay, I mean it's only five minutes episodes. Maybe I could, but I don't want to waste like now because now it would be like twenty or thirty minutes to catch up. So now I really don't want to play right. with it. So so anyway, that's yeah. our reasons for that. Um, Ruby. Maybe we'll talk about some real anime next week because I'm getting the Blu-ray in from Japan of Dragon Ball Z Battle of Gods, the new Dragon Ball Z movie. Importing that shit. Yeah, let's. That, it's super topical. Let's let's do an American podcast talking about an import of the Dragon Ball Z movie. We've done less topical stuff. That, that is true, but I'd Absolutely. like to think that we can get away from doing less topical stuff. Okay, we shouldn't go deeper in all. Yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> we shouldn't try to find the most specific, like just like niche. Like, oh, I could go more niche. You want to yo, go more niche? I'll go. More I niche. could go. I could go so fucking niche. You wouldn't even know what we were talking about anymore. I could spend hours talking about like a scene from fucking Godzilla against Mechagodzilla if I wanted to, motherfucker. Like, let's go. You want to go niche? I can go niche. But we shouldn't fucking go niche. All right. Let's do a whole podcast on the second level of Halo. Halo. Let's okay. do that, you know? We can go super niche. A right. whole podcast on the mechanisms of the assault rifle in Halo 1 if we wanted to. All right. Uh, instead of that, let's transition into our final topic of this week's oh, shit, episode. We have, I forgot. Oh, yeah, we have which something is cool to talk about. Hotline Miami. Yeah. So this was a game that came out last year on the PC. Yep. Uh, and that's how I played it on the PC. Yeah, it's now, it's now on Macs and Linux, too, on yeah. Steam. Um, and it just it recently came out on the PS3 and Vita. It's one of those cross-platform games. So buy it on one, you get it on both. Yeah. It does cross-saving and everything. You can cool. switch back and forth. Um, I'll have specific things to say about that version as we go along. You've played the PC. Yeah. I've played the Vita version. Um, but, Sean, I'm going to plug in this computer so it doesn't run out of power. All right. That's a while, good idea. while I'm doing that, tell the kids about Hotline Miami. Okay. Yeah. So Hotline Miami, as we said, it's, it's an indie game that came out last year on the PC. And it is... One, it's a really fucking awesome game, and it is also an unbelievably just, like, brutally violent and tense... Like, it almost doesn't even, like, fit into a genre. Like, it's got... It sort of has a retro vibe to it, but it's very much, uh, like, a very tense action game where you get hit once by, like, a bullet or somebody punching you in the face or whatever, you are dead immediately, 
And basically, if you kill, if you hit anyone with a weapon, they are killed immediately. If you hit them with like your fists, then you have to execute them when they're they're on the ground. And so, since you can be killed so quickly and you kill enemies so quickly, the game is immediately is like super fast paced. Uh, like you will die in the level over and over and over again, trying to figure out the right way to approach a certain situation. And in that way, it's almost kind of like a very tense precision based puzzle game of like you trying to. Of like your ability to solve the puzzles is very much related to your skill and how you play the game, but it's also down to like trying to figure out creative ways to approach certain rooms and certain situations. Of like, there are like two dudes with guns over there, but they're like in this like two rooms away, and there's like one guy in this room patrolling around. So if I like run through and knock him down by opening the door, like right when he's in front of the door, I can take him down, execute him while he's on the ground without alerting the guys in the other room, and then I can run through the room really quick and slash him with my knives. And so it's super fast-paced, incredibly brutal, just blood everywhere, and it's got this really great sort of super grungy sort of 70s, 80s aesthetic of like, like sort of these like really neat bright neon colors around the edge of the screen that sort of like pulsate and the screen sort of sways back and forth and like you're playing some sort of like coked up crazy fucking like hitman dude who gets like just like like just gets orders by people and like rabbit and like frog masks and bullshit and you just go out and kill motherfuckers and it's the soundtrack is just like pumping and sort of like techno and awesome and I'll say stylistically it was partially inspired by the 2011 film Drive yeah. by Nicholas Winding and Refn. then obviously like the 70s films that that film right. was also inspired right. by I'm just saying that's the most recent thing that yeah. people have probably seen and there's specific references to it in the game you see the, the jacket on the ground from that movie and stuff um, and obviously other references yeah. but if you've seen Drive which was very fairly recent so I'm sure a lot of people have the music style is almost identical between the two so it's very much like that in fact when I started playing it I felt like I was playing Drive the mm-hmm. video game Drive's also very brutal and, and whatnot. it's not as it's not surreal in the way yeah. that this yeah. game is but yeah so what else should we say about just general style of Hotline Miami yeah I mean I think that's more or less it you know it's yeah. like you just move through rooms and kill everybody. top down 2D yeah yeah, yeah it's top down 2D okay. um, so yeah that's that's what Hotline Miami is and it's awesome I think it's a great game yeah, I was yeah it's really, a really fucking good game I was kind of on the on on edge about whether or not to get this and play it because I'd heard a lot of good things about it but I just looking at it I wasn't sure what to make of it yeah and when you start playing it, you're not sure what to make of it. But then, I don't Especially know... Especially the story aspect. It, yeah, the story weird. is crazy. But you start... You play that in those first couple rooms. And it is so... Immediately, it's so difficult. And it's so yeah, frustrating. Yeah. And there are some rooms near the end I probably tried like a hundred times. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's so... But then it's so addictive. And at first you're so... I would first should say... At first you're also so horrified by the things you're doing. Like this game, better than any 3D game, simulates that Hitman kind of thing of going into a room and just beating someone to death. Yeah, like, like just the, fucking killing everyone and there's just like arterial spray on the walls and shit. The brutality of it is so tough. And then you go... You know, you go through the rooms and you're done and you have to come back through your carnage. I yeah, love yeah, that you walk. Touch. Yeah, you have to walk out back to your car. There's just all these bodies strewn everywhere. And it's like, that. I just stepped on that dude's brain because I yeah. fucking... Broke his head open with a baseball bat. And yet it's so addictive and you just can't stop until yeah. you've killed everyone. And I don't know if you had this effect, but I had the effect of the more I played a level, the more violent I got. Because it was like... Yeah, I kind of had... Because like, especially just, it, some of the later levels, it could just get like really frustrating. Like, 
motherfuckers, like you, you fucking cunts, I'm going to just slaughter your asses. So, you know, we talk a lot about ludonarrative dissonance, and yeah. the most impressive thing about Hotline Miami to me is that at a certain point, you are very much in the main character's yeah. mindset, where you just, you lose it, you go crazy, you're just murdering people, you're just, oh, I have to punch this person, I have to open the door on this guy and stab these three people while they chase me and break this dog's neck. And then, and then Fucking, you get, yeah, fuck the dogs, fuck and then, those things. And then you calm down and you're like, what have I done? Oh god, I need to take a shower yeah, just know, from me. I was like, game. yeah, they fucking deserved it. Fucking assholes. <laughs> Jesus. They're all like horrible, like drug dealing, yeah. murderous psychopaths too. It's like we're all just, we're just lowering the crime rate like one by one. Like it's, we're just like, you know... It's better to have all the criminals, like, murder psychopaths murdering each other than having them murder, like, random civilians on the streets. You know? I'm, <laughs> I'm encouraging psychopath on psychopath violence. I'm, sure. That, it's not a pretty thing, but maybe it's a necessary thing. Yes. Just as Batman would tell us. Yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm the hero we need, not the one we deserve, whatever bullshit Dark Knight says. Yeah. So anyway, I yeah, that's kind of Hotline Miami in a nutshell to me of why I liked it so much, and I I was really into this game when I was playing it, and definitely I liked playing it on the Vita, and we'll talk about specific control stuff later for that. But I kind of I, it's a great portable game because you can pick up and play it, and although sometimes I would be working on one level for an hour and a half, I, there was definitely one time where I had a break between classes that was like two hours, and I went to the library, and I was intending to do some studying, but first I had my Vita, and I was going to play some Hotline Miami. I spent that entire two-hour break playing Hotline Miami. Yeah, and it was a good two-hour break. To me too. I mean, with me in Hotline Miami, like, like when I was younger, I would get kind of like angry and frustrated at video games. But like, like I've gotten older, like that just doesn't really happen to me anymore. Whereas you, like, if you play a match of Halo and get killed, like you'll fucking throw the controller on the floor. I, I have never done anything like that in a Halo game, dude. I, that is fucking empirically false. I have seen you do that. Multiple times of like finishing a Halo game or like in the middle of a Halo game, you just being like, "Oh fuck shit!" and like throw the controller on the ground. I'm trying to control my image, Sean. It's like well, control your image when there isn't someone present who has seen it with their own fucking eyes multiple times. Okay, I've technically only broken a controller once, and it was during The Last of Us. Yeah, I didn't see you actually break a controller. I played with the controller. You <laughs> yeah, because then I brought the PS3 back up and gave Sean the broken controller. Even though you <laughs> bought a non-broken controller and you were gone in fucking Canada. See, it's not like you could have played a PS3 anyway, so I don't know why you gave me the broken fucking controller, you dick. It was kind of funny. Yeah. But anyways, what I was going to say is that I, like, traditionally, as I've gotten older, like, I haven't really had an experience where I got really, like, angry at a video game to the point where I'll just be like, oh, Fuck the god motherfucker! You know, like I don't do that anymore. I did that with Hotline Miami, definitely <laughs> on some levels of just like so. Like in my mind, picturing myself, especially some of the later levels, playing like in public with the Vita. See, just like really awkward situations of like, oh, this fucking fuck you, fucking bullshit, and just like looking around, it's like, oh, I'm not. Yeah, okay. Uh, everyone would be looking at you like you're a maniac, and you're about to go like. And maybe that's like what the game like playing on the Vita. It's a very good like. Like, breaking down ludonarrative dissonance is, like, if that happens to you enough in public, then you just start fucking killing people with baseball bats, because it's like, you you can't take the social pressure, and, like, everyone realizing you're a psychopath makes you a psychopath. Right. Exactly. But, yeah. So, but, uh, I, I want to ask you this just while we're on the topic of the yeah. different platforms we played it on. What are the controls like on the original PC version? Uh, like, music, uh, movement is WASD, and I've, like, cursor with the mouse, and then you can use, like, 
shift or something to like move the uh, like distance you can see on yeah. the screen to like examine the other rooms. Then there's like I think right click is like lock on. So it, to me, it, like it it controlled perfectly well. Like I didn't have any issue with it. Okay. Uh, just as a report, because I'm sure some people who played the PC version might be interested to hear. Yeah, like I'm this. curious about okay. particularly how it plays on the Vita. Um, yeah, the, it contr- between the PS3 and Vita versions, the Vita is where you should play it huh. because for one, it looks better on the Vita. Yeah, Blowing that game like up that. to it like a 40 inch TV, which is what I have, yeah. it, it doesn't look great anymore. Yeah, and and I it's I feel like it's a really bright, colorful, well designed game, and I can mm-hmm. appreciate it more on the Vita screen. So there's there's one mark for it. But also, I think the controls on both can be clunky. I definitely got killed a lot from control malfunctions. I mean, that happened on the, the PC too, but maybe not as much. Mainly which is with aiming and locking onto people. Yeah, no, like that, that, that definitely still happened. Okay. Just because, like, the game is so fast-paced that it's, like, right. sometimes, like, you wish you could, like, almost slow down time because it's, like, there's not enough time to be able to manipulate the controls in the way you want to. Yeah. So... But but on the PS3, the, the benefit the Vita has is the touchscreen, which they make really oh, good use of. I didn't on. Even think about that. So the PS3, how you play it is lock on is the square, and that's mm-hmm. how you lock on to people, and that's your only option on the PS3 version. You use you know left L1 to to um, no L1 to throw or pick up weapons. Okay. R1 to use the weapon mm-hmm. or your fist or something. Um, you walk around with the, the control sticks, obviously. Um, you use X to like bash people's heads in things like that. Um, so pretty basic controls, and then and then R two and L two. Um, I I forget what L two does. I know R two no L two with the with R three like the right thumbstick. Yeah. Um, will let you look around further, like yeah, what okay. you're talking about. Now, what the Vita does to simplify all that that works really well is the controls are all the same except there's obviously not L two R two. Yeah. So what you do is to look around, you just pull on the screen. Yeah. And it works great on the PS three. I always forgot what the control was to look around, and mm-hmm. obviously that's crucial to playing Hotline Miami. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even because you need to know. Who the fuck is in the next, like, the rooms adjacent right. to the room you're going into? And so it's clunky. You're die. It's clunky on the PS3 to do it that way. On the Vita, though, it's really nice to just drag it. And then you can also lock onto targets just by touching them on the Vita screen. And that works really well, too. That feels more like, you know, you have a cursor or something on yeah, a PC yeah. interface. You can just select someone rather than the auto-aim, which is what the square button does. And the Vita also has auto-aim via the square button. And usually that's what I would use, but sometimes if there's multiple enemies, it's really clunky. I would get killed a lot using that. Yeah. The PS3 version, there were honestly some levels that I just couldn't beat that way, and I would play it on the Vita, and I'd have a little bit of a upper hand being able to select on the screen. So the Vita has better controls for the game. I also feel like having the, the like screen right there where your controls are, given the pace of the game, makes it a little... And having fewer buttons to access makes it yeah, all easier. Yeah, I can see that. So I definitely like playing it on the Vita. I also, now that it's finished, I like just going back and replaying chapters mm-hmm. just for fun while I'm just waiting for a class or something. It's a great little indie game for that purpose. Um, but yeah, so that's how it controls. I, yeah, like I said, either way you play it, PS3 or Vita, it's still a great experience. Yeah. You could totally play it on the PS3. But um, yeah, and like, and as far as like PC goes, like it will run on basically like anything. Yeah, like it's not a graphically intensive game, so it's like if you wanted to wait for like a Steam sale to pick it up and like like want to be able to play it on the PC, like that's that's how I would go about getting the game probably. Yeah, like, although the... I might honestly consider picking it up on the Vita just because that would be a because one I've I've kind of wanted to replay that game recently just like cause yeah. it's so fucking addictive and fun that like it would also be like I can see that. Having the portability of it, just being like, yeah, okay, I'll just. And I think on the Vita, fucking kill some motherfucking dogs in Hotline Miami. Those motherfucking yeah. dogs, goddamn it. And on PlayStation, I actually think that it's a great deal. It's nine ninety nine. You get both the PS three and yeah, Vita versions. Yeah. It's great. The only difficulty I had was with save syncing. 
the PS3 would not pick up my synced saves all the time from the Vita. And I think it might be because my Vita has had a spotty Wi-Fi signal with my house, so I don't know if the Vita was uploading when it should have. Um, I got that corrected near the end of the game, and it was okay. But mostly I played it on my Vita, and that was fine. But there were some times where I wanted to just play it on my PS3. Like, I finished a Mass Effect section. I'd be like, I want to play something else. Boot up Hotline Miami from the dashboard. Oh, it hasn't synced. Shit. So, now I don't want to play three levels over again, because yeah. those three levels gave me PTSD. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, in terms of, like, the game design and everything, do you want to talk about the story or anything, or how it unfolds? Um, like, it's just been, like, a year since I played it, so I don't remember a lot, like, specific... I mean, I just remember, like, the story is fucking... Crazy. Yeah, like, like you end up, like... Like, that actually does some interesting stuff where you, like, switch the main character at one point near the end of the game. Yeah, what happens is you... you the first big boss is this biker dude. You yeah. kill him... And then later in the game, it returns to that. The biker dude is yeah. also getting the phone calls. He kills you this time, and then he goes off and has a separate ending. Yeah, and then like you like run into like the programmers of the game or something like living yep. in a house. It's like what? It's the very fuck the, is going on. I mean, the game basically is a very very meta commentary on yeah. video game violence. <laughs> yeah, like very like yeah, it's, very nihilistic kind of. We do it because we're bored. Yeah, and the story's just, like, super surreal. Like, like so, like, you're getting... Like, the like the fucking tutorial is you're, like, in this back alley, and there's, like, yep. some hobo, and you, like, kill a dude, and then all of a sudden you're in, like, a really grungy apartment, and there are, like, three guys, like, a guy with, like, a, like, rooster mask, and, like, like the, the other guys have, like, different masks. The owl mask and the Yeah, toad. like, the owl mask. And they're just, like, tell you, like, all the shit, and then you get a phone call that's, like, just, like... Here's this apartment, and then you go to the apartment and kill everybody in the apartment, and then you go get pizza. And it's like the dude who gives you pizza is the same dude at like the VHS rental store. It's like he always gives you free stuff, and that's yeah. never explained. It's ever. like what the fuck is going on? And then it's like at some point, all the people about town just are like have melted faces or something. It's like yeah, what? Like it's, I think the only the like the one major part of the game I remember really disliking is like near kind of near the end when you're still playing as as the first dude. You end up like going to the hospital, and it has like that stealth sequence. Yeah, that's dumb. it's not great. And, yeah, and it's, actually, it's my... like the game really like all of a sudden like trying to change its pacing, but like not having a good other thing to do in the game. So it's like th- that hospital sequence is the exact opposite of what the game did well, and so it's just like really plodding and frustrating. I think that I also don't like either of the two big boss fights against the biker or the the final boss. Yeah, they're boss. not great. Yeah, I think they're way too oblique. They don't t- give you any indication of what to do, and then actually executing it is like seventy percent luck. Whether this yeah. this instance will actually work, like if the dog will be, if the the, the cheetah or whatever it is will be open to you yeah, beating that's it. Right. Yeah. Like those pumas, I think they're pumas is what they are. Like, fuck, they're one out of ten, you can even get near them. Yeah. And it's no, it has nothing to do with the player. Yeah. And it's so stuff like that. I don't like those. It, really, the game's strengths are just in its normal level construction. And I also don't love when you switch the main character. Like, when they, like he has, like, a cleaver or something, but you can't pick up other weapons. So it, yeah. like, really restricts your ability to throw weapons and stuff like that or use yeah. guns. And that's really... Especially because you're at the end of the game. It's like, why are you taking my ability to play this game away from me? Like, I think yeah. they make some... Some poor decisions in how they, they structure the game in, like, those very specific instances. But for the most part, when the game's just, like, how it normally is, it's fucking phenomenal. How long a game was it for you? I've heard a lot of people say three that. hours, and I think it was much longer for me. Yeah, it was definitely longer than three hours for me. Like, a, yeah, like, I fucking, I don't know. Like, I would have yeah. to look at my Steam. Even then, probably my Steam thing would be totally inaccurate. Because I remember when I played it, I went home for that weekend or something, and I remember, like... I played it, like, on a weekend or something, and so, like, I probably had the Hotline Miami game just open on my computer, like, for two days straight. Yeah. 
So I probably have like 50 hours played in that game. So it's 50 hours long. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 9.99? Great deal. Yeah, exactly. Like it's fucking, it's like a goddamn JRPG in length. It's amazing. Yeah. No, but it's a really darn good game. I'm excited for Hotline Miami 2 to get more yeah, content. Yeah, they, they've recently announced Hotline Miami 2. So. so, And it'll be a PS4 Vita game, so that'll be pretty great. So, if they could if they could rework the controls a little bit for the PS4 version of that on Hotline Miami 2, make it a little more console-friendly, yeah. that'd be good. Um, Vita, I have really no complaints. I think it's as good as it could be for a non-PC platform on the Vita. Now we just need the 3DS version. Yeah, but like, but you talking about like the PS4 controls? Like all of a sudden, it made me think of like, because you know they have the, the touchpad on there. Yeah, and it like I just had this weird flashback to to uh, in God of War three at the beginning of God of War three, you kill Poseidon. Now you kill Poseidon is you have like a quick time event, and you like fucking stick your thumb in his eyes, and to do that, the quick time event thing is press in on both the triggers. That's great. And but then it made me think about in Hotline Miami. That's one of the ways when there's a guy on the ground who's not dead, you execute him by like just sticking your thumbs in his eye sockets. It's like, what if you did that on the fucking touchpad? It's even better. It's even better than clicking in the thumbsticks if you reach up on the touchpad and just like, ah, motherfucker. That'd be great. Yeah. So, yeah. Hopefully they put that in the PS4 version. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, then you just get, all you have to do is like put some squibs like inside your PS4 controller so when you press it really hard on the touchscreen, like all like fake blood starts shooting out. <laughs> and then you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Who says video games are too violent? It's <laughs> not violent enough as far as I'm concerned. We need more. Like, fucking, like, ramp it up, motherfuckers. Yep. Hotline Miami is definitely violent. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Pretty disturbing at times what you have to do. And those dogs can fuck you up. Fuck those, fuck those dogs. God damn it. There's a mask that dog makes the dogs in ignore video you. games are so fucking I, I like the mask that allows the dogs to ignore you because you yeah. can just walk up to the dog without it doing anything and beat it to death. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, what masks did you favor when you played it? Probably actually the dog one when I got it, but I don't remember specifically. Like, probably, like, I think there was one that let you start out with a knife. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I think I picked that one a lot. That's, like, a later game one. I, I used... I, the, I mainly used Tony, which is the tiger one, who just is one-punch kills, because that... Yeah, a lot true. of times, you just... That really saved your ass, but yeah. it also gets you lower points, so when I play through the game again, I might do something else to get my points up or something, but... Yeah, but then also, that way, you don't get to, to like, execute people when they're on the ground, and that's, like, right. half the fun. Yeah, no, that's where all the really violent shit happens. But sometimes a level will start you where there's, like, five guys with guns right yeah. there. Sometimes you just need to... Bah, 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 get them all down. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I kind of like experimenting with all the masks and stuff. It's kind of fun, but it's a good game. Yeah, yeah, I definitely yeah. recommend it if... If this sounds like a game you're interested in. And actually, I actually am on kind of an indie game kick. I got a bunch of stuff. PSN recently had a sale. I got Journey for $3. I got Tokyo Jungle for $3. I got Limbo. I got some other ones. I'm excited to play all of these. So Did you get uh, Thomas Was Alone? That's that was not on there. Okay. But I will play that's it also, That's point. a very good indie game. It's okay. like a puzzle platformer, but it's got like a really nice sort of story component in it through like narration. Nice. I have a whole digital stack of indie games I have to get through. But yeah. and my brother and I actually played a bunch of Tokyo Jungle co-op, significantly harder than Tokyo Jungle single player. Huh. There are less animals on screen, but you need more of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what, if one of the animals dies, like, if one you of you guys You can revive die, the other one. But, but so if one of them dies, like, you could, like, so if Thomas died, like, you could keep on playing? Yeah. Okay. This is, then I would just, like... Can you eat him? No. Which is too bad. That would have been great. Yeah, it was just like, I just, 
I because I was just like picture like like playing like with both of you as like Pomeranians, and at some point it's like, oh god, like everything we can't find any animals. And like we like Thomas is like, hey Thomas, go over there, like see if there's anything over there. He's like, okay, and then you just like walk up behind him, just like, and then eat him. Like what the fuck is like, killer, be killed, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like Tokyo Jungle's multiplayer. Also, like when we're both Pomeranians, there's this, you know, there's the age system and the mating. Yeah. And so there are enough mates for everyone, but not enough nests. So like the, there will still be just the one nest in the area. So you go there, you mate, and then the other person has to just wait until you find the next nest. And so I eventually we would just die of old age because yeah. there's just not enough of them. Yeah. And and then like there weren't enough animals, so we would die of hunger. Then the poison would come, and we couldn't get away fast enough. It was. I mean, Tokyo Jungle's a hard fucking game, yeah. anyways. But yeah, it was tough. So, but it's kind of fun. You just, you gotta, yeah. if you're gonna play Tokyo Jungle Co-op, just go in knowing it's gonna be, you're gonna fuck up terribly, and then you'll have some fun with it. Yeah. So. Alright, I think that's it for this podcast. Yeah, we've, we've talked about a, fun, a lot of fucking things. I'm gonna go home and play Mass Effect 3, because that game is fantastic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play some Final Fantasy 4. I'm gonna play maybe some of that too. Yeah. On my way home. I, I gotta drive home, maybe I can kind of play it on the side while I'm driving. I think that's a good, yeah, that's like, especially because it's like it's been raining recently, so it's like, yeah, that's like with the slick roads, just like, yeah, going down the highway, playing some Vita while you're driving, I think that's and, a great idea. And it's a highway with like 30 foot drops off the side yeah. with no guardrails. But I think instead of playing Final Fantasy IV, you should play Hotline Miami <laughs> while you're driving? Drive with my knee, yeah. like steer with my knee, and just yeah, play hot. Or even better, like like load up a fucking racing game and try to play a racing <laughs> game while you're driving. <laughs> like you fucking start turning like right in the game. You're like, oh fuck, and start turning right in real life, even though it turns left, and then you, you kill five people, and and then we can't do the podcast anymore. That just frees up a lot of time for me. So sure, you could you could come to, to the prison where I would be, and we could record it like through the the weird glass sure. that people yeah. yeah. Anyways, yeah, we're done. Podcast is over. Something will happen next week. GTA 5? Well, that's, I mean, that'll happen next week, tomorrow. I should say, next week's podcast will probably go up late Monday night, early Tuesday. We will obviously not have played any GTA 5. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to, like, I want to spend a lot of time playing GTA 5, so I would not want to do a podcast while I was in the process of playing GTA 5. So. Two weeks from now, we will talk about it. Yeah. If we're not completely done with it, we'll still give impressions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, eventually, there will be a full review episode on that, obviously. But it's a big game, I assume. <laughs> yes, yes. Or it could disappoint. It's like a five-hour campaign. <laughs> yeah. One so. and a half hours for each of the three characters. Yep. So, all right. See you guys later. Sean just waved by. Yes, I did. <laughs>